This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylock. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection, one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're getting frank with sexuality with musicians come uh. actors. As we watch Spines 303 and 304 in the Criterion Collection, Nicholas Rogue's Bad Timing from 1980, and The Man Who Fell to Earth from 1976. But first, RJ, mm. it wouldn't be a... A proper doubleheader without our good, close personal friend, Double A, Aaron Lang, joining us this week uh, after a oh. four, four straight weeks of guests on the show. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> nice to see you guys. Nice to be back. Yeah. How's, how's Cleveland? You know, no news is good news. That's good. Good. I mean, <laughs> that's what Drew Carey always said, right? No news is good news. And then everyone laughed and... Yeah. It was a it was a good good day good episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, always, I always forget these like things that people associate with Cleveland, mm-hmm. the people that don't live in Cleveland, and mm-hmm. I think you know we don't like walk around talking about Drew Carey. Really, <laughs> truly, and yet, but like whenever you know someone not from here I'm speaking to, that's like they just jump on that, like oh yeah. Drew Carey. It's uh, for where we live in Canada. It's pretty much all I know about Cleveland. That and then uh, when you guys burnt all of LeBron James's jerseys when he left. That's the. It's all I know. So and then uh, um, Dave Chappelle lives close there. But we talked about that last time too. Did we? You know? Yeah, just briefly. Just briefly. Yeah. But uh, so what is new in uh, Brown Town? Um. Well, our old mayor from the 1970s is running for mayor again, Dennis Kucinich, who uh, many people blame for bankrupting the city back in the 1970s, which uh, I don't think was his fault. But then uh, his brother staged a failed bank robbery back then in the 70s. And Dennis, Dennis has, he's a local character. I'm a big supporter of him. Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. seen him... uh, run for mayor again has been incredible so he just sent out these circulars where uh there's kind of like a logo for the city that's like actually like uh copyrighted by like a tourism board it's like the word cleveland like a script font mm-hmm. and Lucinich mailed this out to his district this image but filled with bullet holes and blood running out of it <laughs> what 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 was the intended uh what was the intention behind that, that, do you think? That crime is, like, the Cleveland's dangerous and bad, and he's going to clean it up. And it's very, very weird, even by Cleveland and Kucinich standards. Right. Okay. Interesting. That's the big news here. Interesting. The more you know, right, Jared? The more you know. You, like, you Canadians are speechless. This idea of, like, rampant gun violence. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, uh, Creepsville, where we live, was voted one of the mo- like the highest. Well, crime it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't voted. It was the highest like, on the crime index, whatever that highest means. Highest on the crime index of uh, was it all of Canada, Jared? Which yeah. seems seems not true. It's very, very untrue. I mean, we have, yeah. we have we have friends that live in real cities, and they come to yes. visit, and they're like, "This is like nothing. Like, there's nothing that happens here." We're well, but, yeah. I mean, domestic disputes can really like. Mm-hmm. Scale. Oh yeah, yeah. Our our city's pretty boring, but uh, yeah, it was the top of the scale somehow. And we're like, Jared and I were talking to each other, like, how did that happen? <laughs> Some weird factor, like, yeah. tips it. 
Yeah, a lot of a lot of people uh, watching their neighbors and watching their garbage cans and going, I think that I think that guy's what's he doing over there? I better, I better, I better call this one in. You never know. He has to be on the safe side. They've got kind of warrants on him. I could be contributing by mm-hmm. snitching. Yeah, sn- I see anyone get near any of those cans, Jarrett. I mm-hmm. call it in immediately. I know. It's, it's, we have a city full of you. Mm-hmm. Say there's this suspicious guy near my cans. Mm-hmm. I don't like what he's doing over there. So, Aaron, I don't know if you realize that you have like a reputation amongst our listeners as th- that, that that guy who like doesn't like to talk about food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not, it's like it's like oh, like more often than like yeah, there's like the one guy I didn't want to talk about food in the emails. <laughs> if that's the extent of my reputation, I guess I should be grateful. Yeah, that's it, man. It's like it's everyone, everyone's always like they still remember. They're like, I don't know, I can't remember who it was. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I know, I know who it was, <laughs> but yeah. so I'm, I'm expecting because I haven't looked at the emails. I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. there's going to be some trolls in there who really want to get cut right to it. So and I don't know. Food talk. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, fuck. Okay, we got two movies to talk about, and uh, so and, and we got Kurt right now. Look at this: six emails to read. So I'm just going to start doing that. Okay. Hot, hot diggity. Um, okay. So, from Dylan through uh, more DC. Oh, my God. How, howdy, uh-huh. Aaron, and not anyone else. Um, uh, okay. And then to the rest of us, I guess. Uh, for mm-hmm. reference to your question, I used to have DC Universe before HBO Max. The appeal of DCU was the ability to read many of the comics. It also used to have the shows and movies, but as soon as HBO launched, the movies and shows moved over, and the comics couldn't support DCU, so I believe it shut down. Got the box sets. I think this is in reference to the Batman animated series stuff we were talking about last week. Um, I've always loved Batman, the animated series, mostly because of Tim Daly. That show definitely had some of the best stories of any superhero collection. Personally, I always preferred the art style of Batman the Animated Series more, but I will entirely agree that the actual animation was always cutting corners and not the best, especially compared to Superman. It does hurt me a little bit that you don't have the same soft spot. I feel the writing on the show was legitimately brilliant at times. Um, I am the knight, heart of ice, bullet for bullock. Plus, famously, mm-hmm. the series created Harley and Montoya, as I'm sure you know, great characters. Uh, yeah, last week we were kind of gushing over that DC animated stuff from the 90s. And maybe I came off mm-hmm. harsh on it because I also really liked that animated series. I really like the art book more, I think, at this mm-hmm. point because when I was watching it, it's it's kind of a chore to get through some of the stuff. But, I mean, like I, I have nothing but fond memories, I guess, of the animated series too. Aaron, how do you feel about DC cartoons? Mm. Well, I can't really speak to that okay. broadly, but the Batman animated series from the 90s, big fan. Yep. Big fan, or at least I was as a kid. You know, I was in middle school when that started. Yep. I watched it religiously, and I have all the DVDs. I revisited them. I don't, you know, maybe 15 years ago, and I, I enjoyed it. I was like, this really holds up. Yep. Uh, I don't know if I'd sit down and watch them all again, but I will put like, one on. And I think it was just incredible. Uh, I think there's enough to hold an adult's attention, not just the writing, but also just the quality of the production. Yeah. Like even mm-hmm. every title card is its own work of art. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Like literally they did the whole like painting and design for the title cards. And did you mention the art book? Yeah. The chip kid book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought I talk- show every title card. In that. Yeah. That's like that beautiful. Yeah. It's just like an entire wall of like images and all this is those title cards. And it's just like, man, it's so nice that's looking. Yeah. I have feelings about chip kid, but <laughs> that, that is one of his better 
is better books. That book is it's yeah. got to be out of brand. It's probably worth a few bucks. Well, yeah, there's t- and there's two. Well, there's two Batman books he did because he did one entire book on merchandise, and then which like I remember, yeah, I, I, yeah, I picked it up at, for like five bucks at uh, it was like Smith Books here or something like that, and uh, then years later. I did track down a copy of the animated series book, which is the one we're talking about. And it was like, it was a pretty banged up copy and it was like 30 or 40 bucks. But I was like happy to get it because that, that book is just, yeah, fantastic. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. There's a third book he did as well, that Bat Manga book. Oh, yeah. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. There's that, the Bat Manga yep. book, which was like weird because they actually, it kind of moved DC to actually put out those as like proper collections. Like, so there's like three volumes of that. And he did like a fourth book book kind of dc love letter book uh and it was all on uh captain marvel which is just like of all characters this is like kind of like that you know nostalgia memorabilia kind of stuff same thing but it's not, it's not batman because there's way, there's obviously way more batman i think than, there's uh, another there's a very different one he did in uh collaboration with art spiegelman oh this uh plastic man the jack cole plastic man yep. one which is um has some really great stuff in it it's a great book, but I think uh, on Chip's end, uh, the design of that one's a little cluttered yeah. and doesn't actually serve the material. He, he gets worse <laughs> as time goes he was, on. He's all over the place. He's always yeah. been all over the place. He's super inconsistent. Yeah. Um, I think he could at times be brilliant, and other times he's just fucking bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, was, I was reminding RJ. I don't know if you ever saw them. Mm-hmm. They were like, he did variant covers one month for DC, like, 10 years ago uh it's, it's like oh, i can't remember what the reason what but he hit these like it's so dumb like i don't understand why he did it where it's like a huge block of color and then just like a slip of like vintage comic image of like oh it's wonder woman but just a suggestion of her and like people mm-hmm. would look at these and they were just like oh like they didn't like it at all i'm like well that's pretty uh unsuccessful design my friends he did so. some really um minimal kind of like extreme close-up stuff for those uh reprints of the Dark Knight 1 and 2. Yep. Yes, those. Which were really effective. I think it was DK2, which is a real close-up yep. of Batman's, like, bloodshot eye. Yep. And it worked. It's really, really good. Yeah, with the yellow across the bottom, I think. Yeah. 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 So, and, I mean, and I'm not going to wear a t-shirt of it or anything, but the Jurassic Park logo mm-hmm. is, for what it's intended to do, is brilliant. Yeah. It worked on so many levels. I mean, you have, you know, it, it takes place in, it's in the film. It's a logo that promotes the film. That's also mm-hmm. in the film. It's also the logo of the park, like in the story with on the the uniforms the people wear. I mean, that's a pretty that's pretty brilliant to be able to do something that works on the book jacket, yeah. the movie poster, on the characters' clothes. I mean, it's a really iconic design. Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty brilliant. <laughs> that's what people say about the Criterion Creep C as oh, well. It's oh, brilliant, of course. Uh, it's marketing in a nutshell. Uh, it's uh, we it's done everything we've wanted it to do is what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't fail. Truly, truly. Um, truly. Dylan continues. I noticed RJ correctly rated Mask of the Phantasm highly. I genuinely believe it to be the best Batman feature in terms of mastering the character. But again, the animation is a little weak. You know, Mask of the Phantasm has always been one of those things that has escaped me. I've watched it, and I'm kind of like, it's mm-hmm. okay. It's It just feels like an episode to me, but... Yeah, like an overlong episode. Is it, is it what's... I don't... Is the, is saying the animation sloppy and some of the stuff? I don't think so. I don't I'm think not, it's... Yeah, I... It's been a while since... I never thought of it as being sloppy. Compared I mean, to what? I mean, yeah. compared to else that was, like, airing on network after school stuff, it's yeah. oh, yeah. well above... 
it, it might just be that it was at the back end of the animated series. So we talked about how like there's those first two seasons where it's consistent and then they kind of they changed it a little bit. It they changed spiced before. it up. Season is that four. when it happened? Yeah. Or, yeah. Is it, maybe it's where the movie like fell in line with those that he's talking about. I'm not. I'm not sure either. Mm. But that'd be my guess. Yeah, that's not one I've. I don't. I often don't hear about uh, like anything like criticism about the animation really lobbed at it too often. So that's news to me. Like I, that's one of the things. Is like I think it's because of the uh, the style. Like I think the stylistic choices that they went with, like that Art Deco, like it's almost like the pseudo anachronistic 19. 19- 50s Batman at all times, but sometimes it's like with the blimps and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was like such great problem solving, and it works so well because it's like I don't know, it it's so immersed. Like you think about Batman, it's like oh, I, I they they even started adapting that into the comics too um, later on. I think when they did like the post earthquake comics, which of course I was reading still at the time, but <laughs> but yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the phantasm. I know RJ, I guess you like it a lot, but yeah, it's it's good. It's good. I mean, I know a lot of people I'm, do love. I, that, I must though. have rated it back in the day when I still rated stuff because you know I don't rate shit anymore. So mm-hmm. maybe that's what it oh, was man. more D- than anything. D- D- Dylan goes through the whole lineup. Batman Beyond is a lot of fun, but it doesn't quite live up aside from a handful of episodes. Wounds of the Past, I think. I so I had never, I've never seen Batman Beyond. I don't think in it's, any way. It's an interesting curiosity. Yeah, mm-hmm. I watched the opening intro like for just like out of curiosity of it. And man, that is that is some hard late '90s stuff right there. You know who worked on that? Oh, yeah. Darwin Cook. That mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, because yeah, well, I remember when um, Batman Ego came out, and it was one of those things that was being pitched as like, "Hey, it's one of the animators from Batman animated series." And I was like, "Huh, that's kind of neat." And then I read it, and I was like, "Oh, this is like a really cool comic." Like it's because. It's mm-hmm. it looks exactly like animation cell kind of vibes. I felt like then this feels like it just came off of the you know the TV screen, and then like Darwin Cook became a bigger deal as time went on. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah. was great. Yeah, yeah. he's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I liked Batman Beyond. I think there's some good stuff there. It's not as good as uh, the other things we've been talking about, but uh, I have a Batman Beyond shirt, and I don't wear it very much anymore. I don't wear like shirts like that any as much anymore just because i have to wear like button-up shirts out all the time now but what a a square (laughs) it's an occupational hazard but when i used Mm -hmm. to wear it uh people would always be like hey what is that and i was like it's batman beyond and they're like what is that i was like it's a batman batman it's batman just like any other batman it's just a batman but there's some good stuff there it's uh original like you said like they did for sure there's not that or when they tried to do like I think Spider Man twenty ninety nine like tried to do that as well like I don't know which came first but uh, I didn't I never found the Spider Man future version as interesting the Batman stuff's pretty good I liked it but uh, oh I okay I think I remember that. you yeah, know there, what I mean there, there's a futuristic Spider Man show well there was that comic right where it's like where he's the, he has the blue suit well that was like oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's like that's like ninety two yeah yeah. Yeah, so or ninety like, even. Those, that was a way back are, when. So that one was maybe first, yes. but uh, yeah. not as good. Not as good. Batman, Batman Beyond is better. Is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, far more people, have fondness for Batman Beyond than uh, mm-hmm. Spider Man 2099. I think, but but yeah. pe- people are like that uh, Ben Riley Scarlet Spider stuff. Uh, people do like that. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're that was, hoodie uh, uniform. They outfit. do. Yeah, there's people who love that hoodie. <laughs> Was it the clone, mm. the clone shithead? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. Uh, let's see here. Then Dylan goes bad. bad. Brave and the Bold is a good show. Lots of fun. The yes. bat. The Batman is fine. Beware of the Batman. Lean too far into the edge for me. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, I I know exactly what he means. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, never loved J- Justice League or Justice League use animation style. Uh, though the 3D is cleaner until CGI kicks in. JL and JLU had some of the best storylines of the whole universe, though. Starcross, then JL Season 2, and the Cadmus are from JLU are undoubtedly some of the best superhero stories ever. Well, I ranted too long. So, Aaron, sandwiches? Thoughts? <laughs> Thanks for the time. I'm excited to catch up on Nick Rogue with you boys. Hopefully not another fat girl. Dylan. <laughs> oh, oh. oh. Just in the fat girl. Oh, man. Oh, yes, uh, sexually uh, problematic. <laughs> yeah, uh, for tonight. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like the uh, the pro- problematic sex signs went up to the sky, and Aaron uh, heeded the call. He's like, "I'll talk about that movie." <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, uh, he's back <laughs> in pock form. Look at him. Look at him. Yeah. No. I. What was it? Someone said last week, like Fat Girls, like one of our most listened to episodes, or something like that, which yeah, like J- blows Justin, my yeah. mind. Yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, not because of your affiliation, just because the movie in general. I was like, how do people care about Fat Girl that much? But, but I guess they yeah, do. No, so. I, yeah, I, th- I think it's the double-A rub myself. The double-A I mean, rub? What's well, a movie where like, the conversations around the film are more interesting than the film itself? Yes. Yeah. You're like, what are people saying about this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what people want to hear what they're saying is what double-A lang has to say about sandwiches so I, I don't know if you caught the question in there but what is your favorite sandwich you're not gonna been, you're not gonna let ongoing, it are you gonna... no no well i think it's been ongoing for like three weeks we've had each guest kind of talk about their favorite sandwiches so uh j- so what is your favorite sandwich double oh yeah I, I don't know you caught me with my pants down here at, uh mm-hmm. that's what we do i had a roast beef sandwich for lunch that works. was it good yeah it's fine yeah. <laughs> you put sweet pickle on it? No. Have pickle. you ever done that? No. Okay. This is this is out there. But next time you get roast beef, like either you're making roast like a pot roast at home or you have a roast beef sandwich, put some sweet pickle on there. Not just any pickle, sweet pickle. Oh, it's well, gonna change hey, your whole life, s- I promise. Speaking of food, uh, Aaron, I noticed you posted mm-hmm. a, a photo on our wall of, of the, the the Canadian uh, delicacies yeah. you received. Yes, and I yeah. will I will lift my no food talk ban for this purpose. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. So yeah, my wife recently ordered a shit ton of Canadian only snack foods. Mm-hmm. And uh which I tr- tried most of since she's got in them. And uh I've got I've got things to say. We're we're here to listen. We're here for it, man. So uh tell tell us the highs, tell us the lows, tell us what you thought. Lay it all out for us. Sure. So my wife was drawn initially to getting out of a morbid curiosity, the ketchup flavored Mm. Cheetos. Yep. And then shipping, you know, from Canada was so expensive. She's like, I'm just going to get a bunch of this shit. And she ordered this like from a guy, just like (laughs) a day or something, like some Canadian. He's like, oh, I bet I could totally sell Canadian snacks, a markup to Americans. Mm. And that's right. And, you know, but he did a nice job. He included a little Canadian flag in the box. Mm. Um, so, you know, it was, it was money well spent, uh, ketchup flavored Cheetos, thumbs down. Yeah. Oh, they're maple okay. shaped. Yeah. 
That's like, yeah. That's did, that sounds disgusting. Was there also ketchup <laughs> chips in general? Ketchup flavored Doritos. Oh, okay. So how how were those ones compared Thumbs to the ketchup up. Cheetos? Thumbs up. Ah, yeah. nice. The name, nice. The name is misleading because mm-hmm. ketchup. You know, I mean, I like ketchup. You don't you, mm-hmm. don't, you don't have to talk about ketchup. Ketchup isn't sexy. It's not like ooh, mm-hmm. ketchup flavored. <laughs> so these it just makes you think of like a little kid with like chicken fingers and like you know mm-hmm. that uh, that is literally the best way to describe it is ketchup chips there's always one kid with, with like a little like red mustache because they've been piling down ketchup chips all day that's the best way to describe it but yeah continue yeah the ketchup doritos uh were, they're good they're kind of sweet nice. it's almost like a sweet salsa flavor mm-hmm. they're good do you have you seen them or do these actually exist in canada yeah, yeah. okay yeah, so like the main staple, like uh, I'd say ketchup Cheetos aren't yeah, like that's... those came and came and went. That's not like a staple, but just plain ketchup chips, like Lay's ketchup, or like we have uh, in Canada, we have Old Dutch chips, and those uh, the ketchup version of that, they're like Lay's chips. So just the plain ketchup potato chip, that is the staple. And then Doritos did dabble with the ketchup uh, Dorito, and that I think is. I think that's a permanent fixture now. Like, mm-hmm. I could go pick up some right now if I wanted, but ketchup Doritos not as, or uh, ketchup Cheetos not so much. But, yeah, well, yeah. in the states, you'll occasionally see regular ketchup flavored chips, but you can't like go to the store and like count on picking those up. Right, it's right. kind of like a here and there thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we the just the plain chips we have a lot of, and the, the Doritos, yeah, but yeah. So, did, ketchup. Did, did you uh, break into those fudgios? Yeah, they're good. Those are good. Um, I mean, but we have good cookies in America too. Yeah. So <laughs> it was, you know, I'm not like, oh, I need to have these. Uh, they were, they're fine. They're good cookies. Yep. What What impressed me was the Timbits cereal. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. yeah, that's actually a new thing. That only came out like a year or two ago. Like that's when they first created it. So that that's actually a new thing for you. But it's it'll like, probably be here forever. It's like Cocoa Puffs, but so much better. Nice. Interesting. That's a, better than Cocoa Puffs. Interesting. Five stars. Five stars on the Timbit series. Wow. Maybe we should make that a Patreon goal. If people donate enough money, we'll send them a box of Timbit cereal with the double A stamp of approval <laughs> on top of that. Thing. I think it's a phenomenal idea. Oh, and what's the name <laughs> of those cheese curls you like? Hawkins. Hawkins was good. Yeah. I, I love those because they're so dense and yeah, they yeah. have such like a like a harsh cheese flavor. You really feel when you're eating those, like you know yeah. you're eating cheesies. Do you yeah, you that's do good you stuff. Need, um, snacks from a company called Dots D O T S? Oh, I, I we do. Like, yeah, they're kind of like Minnesota or something. They're like upper northern deep Midwest, so kind of like Canada. Maybe you'd have them, but they're. They're good. They do. They're known for their pretzels, but they have a cheese curl they do, and it's a lot like those Hawkins. It's really dense. Mm-hmm. It's like a super crunch. I I have I have had the pretzels, but uh, I haven't had the the cheesies. Yeah. So the pretzels I have had. I can't remember where. Like maybe in the states actually, but the uh, the pretzels. Yes. The cheesy versions. No. I don't know about you, Jared. If you've uh, no. dabbled in these. I was thinking of like there was like they're a like they're... butter spindles almost. Yeah, I'm looking. Sorry, at, I'm, I'm watching a uh, website with a very sensual ad about how they make dots pretzels. 
um, on what a mean sensual? Well, there's like if you go to dotspretzels.com, there's like a, an <laughs> auto video that just plays, and there's just people playing with like pretzely bread and like stirring it up in real cloves and dumping it onto a tray to slow roast artisanal style RJ. It's, uh, Ooh. yeah, and they, and they throw it in a plastic bag and you shovel it in your face. That's, hmm. that's how it ends. Yeah, it's upsetting. That's uh, how it ends. Yeah, I don't know, oh, but I, but yeah, that must have been when you're in your uh, Colorado days, RJ. Yeah, I've I've definitely had that. Maybe it was when I lived in the states. Uh, I I've had the pretzels for sure, but yeah, I don't know. Those, yeah, those those are good. So, any other uh, highlights, lowlights, or is that about it for the uh, the Canadian oh, delicacies? Oh, we'll leave with one more. There were uh, Swiss cheese flavored crackers. Oh yeah, yeah, they were good. They're yeah, good. I've had those too. <laughs> Oh wait, did, was a did you have a did you have a can of cream soda pop in there as well? Did you yes, try that from and, um, Crush? Yes. Yeah. So do you have do you know cream soda? Like, is that something you guys yeah, have down yeah. there, or was that if new we to have you? Crush and we have cream soda. I just don't. Oh, okay. Yeah, Crush cream soda. But I also okay. have never looked for it, so maybe we do. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's like the only cream soda we have, and unless it's like a luxury brand, like soda. like Jones. <laughs> Like Jones soda, yeah. AW does cream soda. Oh, okay. Huh. So that's not Canadian. You know what that guy should have threw, threw in there instead of cream soda was a coffee crisp, which is the, the chocolate bar that tastes, it's like wafer and it tastes like coffee. Mm. I've had Lion bars. Which bar, sorry? Lion. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I one. I don't know if I know that one. Maybe what? that's English. Maybe that's English. <laughs> Maybe that's Britain. I think that is the, what's the Canadian one, Mr. Big? Yeah, there's Mr. Mm-hmm. Big. Uh, I think I could those rule in Lion Bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like yeah, Lion Bar has definitely got to be British. Yeah, Mr. Bigs are super good. I love that. <laughs> those real good. Ready for another question? Sure. All right, Oliver Granger with an email titled Double oh, A Double O Double O Seven. Oh, I, see. I I believe what he's going for. Double O-O? I don't know. Oliver, mm-hmm. what are you doing? I think Double A's response to the question, do you like Chinese food, was my favorite response to a question ever. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, come on, Oliver. You have to, like, tell us. He doesn't tell us. I, I don't know. I don't remember. No, see, this is good because people are going to go back and listen to Fat Girl just to hear the uh, response that Double A has. Even he's going to have to go listen to it because even he doesn't remember what his response was. Okay. Maybe it was too vague, so I thought, let's get specific. <laughs> well, good. See, I told oh. you. Chinese food or Based? Japanese food? Ooh. That's a pretty harsh line to draw, but yeah. Yeah. I like sushi, you know. There you go. Mm-hmm. Noodles or rice? I'm not going to choose. Okay. Hamburgers or cheeseburgers? That's a stupid question. <laughs> Fries or onion rings? Fries. Hot dogs, plain, or you like to dress it up? Wow, who the fuck would eat a plain hot dog? <laughs> if you bought a chocolate bar, would you go for one with or without nuts? Doesn't matter. I don't think like that. Okay, you don't think like that. There we go. I love it. Beer or seltzers? Uh, well, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so seltzer. There you go. Get Fair. through the first. Okay, 
So Oliver continues. I got through the first five 007 films, also watching the two non-canon ones. Casino Royale 1967 was the biggest surprise. I actually found it really funny. I think you guys will hate the comedy, though. Orson Welles' scene were, scenes were fantastic. He was almost never standing and insisted on doing magic t- tricks throughout the movie. A good precursor to F for Fake. Uh, mm-hmm. Film had like five directors, insane amount of famous actors would really do well to have a making of, as I think the production was full of problems, but it made a bunch of money. Um, yeah, I, a friend of mine, Corey, watched Casino Royale like a year or so ago, and he fucking hated it, and he is far more mm-hmm. forgiving about comedy stuff like that than me. So I would imagine I would just turn it off like immediately. Well, so- you, you kind of have to come at it from a different angle. Like, it's a bad movie, but mm-hmm. uh, Casino Royale is kind of like a document of a certain type of 60s excess. Right. Like, Austin Powers, if you've seen Casino Royale, it actually really informs, like, what Austin Powers is. Because Austin Powers is not riffing on the Sean Connery movies. It's riffing on Casino Royale. Right. What do you, uh, Aaron, what do you, what do you think about The Party? You know, I just watched that recently for the first time. Yeah. Um, I like it. You know, it's kind of boring. Right. <laughs> uh, but there's also something about it. I, yeah, I, I don't. it's hard to talk about. Uh, I did watch it maybe a couple months ago. Yeah. I, I do like Peter Sellers. Sure. But I mean, you, you got to be in the right mood. I mean, those things are just paced so differently. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, when we were watching the the Corman's, uh, I always think of the, like the trip, and there there was a, a mm-hmm. moment in like Hollywood movies, like it, or movies being distributed widely, but like they feel like just people hanging out with cameras, and yeah, it picks the, the, on the the scene, and they they all have that same vibe. Like, Casino Royale is obviously a lot more like polished than that mm-hmm. and is trying to do like a genre thing rather than it's just like here's about a bunch of burnouts who are doing drugs for the first time but you can feel that this is the type of movies that they were really making was the party <laughs> or there's been i don't know if that seems right or not but that's kind of my mm-hmm. snapshot of that period of time well yeah like the pink panther movies this that kind of blake edwards thing um it's kind of like playboy mansion kind of feel mm-hmm uh, so that's Oliver's email. Uh, cool. next, right. ne- next we got Reese Hackstuhl. Uh, I'm excited to see what Sugar Ad has, but uh, I gotta say, I, I did like that food talk from Oliver, and I think uh, I appreciate Double A Lang's uh, input on that. Uh, some very informative and enlightening uh, insight. So I just want to say that before you continue. Who who would eat a plain hot dog? I child. I. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 that person's probably out there. Actually, you know what? So when I was doing that thing a couple of weeks ago and I met those new people, I was talking about hot dogs and I brought something up and they were like, they're like, what? They're like, you do that. And I was like, yeah, I've done this. Have you guys ever had two different kinds of mustard on a hot dog? Like yellow mustard and Dijon mustard. Do you ever doubled up the mustard on a hot dog? I might have. Cause I've, I've done it. Like I don't do it all the time, but I've done it. And these people looked at me like I was fucking out of my mind. They're maybe, like, what do you mean you maybe, put two kinds of mustard maybe, on there? I was like, maybe, maybe they different. just, maybe they just found out that there's more mustard than just French's. I, I mean, they knew what Dijon mustard was and they were just like, they were super taken aback by the fact that I put <laughs> both of them on there. And I was like, well, they're different mustards, So it, huh. it blends well. I, I don't know. That's just me, man. I just tried it out. I just, I don't know where you guys stand on that, but it would have to be sold one. to me 
I wouldn't apply the mustards myself. Okay. You get the kind of menu like, oh, this is a St. Louis dog. This is a Creepsville dog. It's two kinds yeah. of mustard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and red onion and two mustards and like red onion, two mustards. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're going for. Like a Seattle hot dog has cream cheese on it. Yeah, exactly. I'm not gonna do that at home. Oh no. No, it's actually good. Okay. You can't just have like a shitty microwave hot dog on like just a regular bun. It has to be like a good hot dog on a good mm. like puff bun. You put cream cheese on it, yellow mustard, and green onions. And it actually it actually works, but it has to be like off the line, all around stuff. Right. Mm. It's not like a half-ass thing. Right, right, right. Mm. Look at me. I'm talking. What have you done to me? Ah, we got you. you we dragged did it. me down to your level. You we did. Me. We did it. We got you. Reese continue or begins because we even started. Hey, oh yeah, we hey, started. Hey, Rancis and RJ. Hope you guys are doing well. I enjoyed hearing from Justin Peterson last week. Great to hear about a samurai movie, too. You guys see this 4K Criterion business? Gonna have Citizen Kane and Mulholland Drive in HD? I know Rancis is gonna be all over this, but I'm sure you can find them on YouTube in 240p, so that's how I'll be doing it. This week, I watched The Suicide Squad. I went in with the lowest possible expectations, and I'm pleased to report that it was a pretty good show. It didn't take itself too seriously at all, which was really nice. Uh, Great to see some D-tier comic characters getting airtime. Anyway, I should probably ask a question, right? The Olympics just wrapped up, so if you could compete in any Olympic sport, what would it be? Have a great show, Sugarhead. I'd like to just interrupt. When Ant-Man has his own movie... I don't think we're in need of D-list <laughs> superheroes getting more screen time. I think uh-huh. I think what we're seeing is a scraping of the bottom of the barrel and not a cause for celebration. But <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so what would your uh, D-list hero movie be, Aaron? If some if Warner Brothers or Warner Brothers or Disney came to you tomorrow and said, "You got carte blanche, but it's got to be a unknown superhero." Who would you pick for your Ambush, for your movie? Ambush bug? that's pretty the 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 speed at which you hit that ambush ambush bug was uh impeccable i like that i would do animal vegetable mineral man who i know is a bad guy but i think he's cool ambush bug is good though what about you jared fuck i I just think about uh there's the one comic that brian nazarella wrote that was actually pretty cool it's like called doctor 13 that was just like the mm-hmm. celebration of the like the the bottom of the barrel of the DC characters, and it was actually a really uh, engaging story. And Cliff Chang, I think, drew it. So I just adapt that because it's very very comic booky, but which isn't what movies are about. But hey, do something like that, I guess. Uh, Olympics, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Mm-hmm. Fuck the Olympics. Oh well, I think I mentioned uh, maybe one time before. I would prefer. Uh lumberjack contest yeah so that would be my my olympic sport is lumberjack contest what about you aaron lane what what's your olympic sport oh <laughs> the summer ones don't interest me at all yeah they never did and i don't mm. like sports but there's something about the winter olympics that it kind of has a sort of like uh weird appeal there's something kind of like otherworldly about it i don't know why it's like i Kind of a romantic notion of like the Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. I, I see what you mean. Do you have any suggestions, RJ? As to what for Winter Olympics for Aaron to compete in? 
bobsledding. Yeah, yeah sure. Perfect. Yeah, you'd be on the Jamaican team. You'd come hang out in Creedsville. That was right near us. That movie holds up. Hell yeah, it does. John Candy's in there. There, it's it's an underdog story and it's a true story. What what's not to feel good about? I watched uh, the other year. Runners. It's a good it's a good movie for what Hell it yeah. is. Yeah, I have Hell never yeah. seen that movie in my entire life. It's because you're a bad dude, and I think everybody knows that. Pretty much everybody. <sighs> well, here's a. I just clicked on Rob Eagle's next email. It's, oh God! It's, it's, it's story time. Uh-oh. Rob Eagle begins. I confess. Hi guys. I think by now we know each other well enough to be totally honest. I have a confession to make. Call it, oh. if you will, a frank admission. There are hmm. things we say we'll never do, and when we say it, we really mean it. But sometimes we find ourselves in a certain situation. Maybe we've had a couple drinks, and we think to ourselves, "How can you say you don't like it?" if you never tried it. So guys, that's how I began watching Murder, She Wrote. Bin- <laughs> binge watching, actually, as RJ is okay. with Voyager. And let me tell mm-hmm. you, I like it. In Murder, She Wrote, the murder mm-hmm. happens around 20 minutes into a 50-minute episode. By close of show, the mystery is solved. Compare that to your average eight-hour Netflix prestige drama, which oftentimes uh-huh. doesn't even deign to tell you who did it. Murder, She Wrote always tells you who did it. Plus, you get a whole host of old-timey movie stars, as well as future A-list stars, including, in one episode, none other than Mr. Brad Dourif playing a predictably over-the-top exorcist. No, RJ, I'm not going to tell you what episode. you got to do your time, like me. I'll Google it. My true confession is... is, Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm on board with that 100%. That sounds wicked. My true confession is that I was previously rather sniffy about Murder, She Wrote, and I'm heartily ashamed that I was such a snob. Miss Lansbury almost quit after season five because of the strenuous shooting schedule, but they tempted her back by allowing her to be absent from a few episodes per season. In those episodes, Jessica Fletcher appears only at the opening, introducing the story. Given the Wang's displeasure at being upstaged by the curvaceous Jerry Ryan, Mr. Wang mm-hmm. might have negotiated a similar deal for his Voyager contract. There would, I think, have been a few complaints if Garrett Wang had opened a few episodes. Hi, folks, it's me, Harry Kim, your favorite character. This week, <laughs> astonishingly, I don't get kidnapped. Instead, we're going to find out what that focus-pulling Borg bitch has been up to. Ah, uh, if wishing made it so... Well, guys, I understand you're taking next week off. I hope you have a good time. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. I'll prick my finger on a spinning wheel and hope I got the timing right. Regards, Rob Eagle. Well, I think uh, Robert England uh, got an email in here that Jarrett actually said with the cadence and the uh, the timing that uh, he's uh, tried to do recently. But uh, Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, I've never dabbled in Murder, She Wrote. No? How about you, boys? Oh man! I mean, when I was a little kid, it was on, but I yeah. never like watched it. You, you, know? you don't. You don't know about Cliff? No, that's Matlock. Mm-hmm. Who's who is? Uh, I don't know. Murder She Rose was just like that's a show that my mom watched all the time. Uh, I think it was mostly in syndication that it was there, and I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a force to be reckoned with. My wife watched them a few years ago. Yeah, she was through them all. She loved it. She yeah. loved it. Yeah. So where do you watch this Murder She Wrote? I don't know where she got it, but it was a few years ago she went through all of them. Hmm. They've been, yeah, they're on various streaming platforms. I don't know if the whole, like, shebang's on there, because there's, what, 1984 to 1996? 
I mean, it was kind of an incredible period because you also had Matlock. Yep. And what was Dick Van Dyke's call? Diagnosis murder. Oh yeah. <laughs> so there was like a whole like every were these on different networks? I mean, there was like all these sh- like shows for our grandparents mm-hmm. with these like senior citizens like solving crimes, which is kind of like unthinkable today. Mm-hmm. So all this like there was so much senior programming, and now the actor like. They're like, oh, we don't care about this demographic. You know, we're not going to make well, it for you. I, I guess now they're just like, they're old. They'll be happy with whatever they get. They don't need things targeted specifically at old people. Or maybe the old people are still watching Matlock and Murder, She Wrote, and it's just timeless, and they don't need anything else. That's a po- that's a potential possibility. Oh, those yeah, I'm, I'm just looking over the cast because the, there's the recurring characters. And it was like, yeah, there was Sheriff Amos Tupper, played by Tom Bosley. He was there for mm. seasons one through four. And yeah, they always have these like doctor characters, the the supporting characters that are hung around for goddamn seasons two through two through twelve. Oof, that's a hell of a run. The show's got twelve seasons. It's yep. impressive. And movies it's more than any Star Trek series. That's right. So that's pretty wild. And there was a uh, in two thousand nine there was a point and click video game for PC of Murder <laughs> Shiro. Yep, that sounds cool. <laughs> there you go. I would play that. That sounds cool. Is it on Switch? Do you think, Jarrett? <laughs> I don't know. You have to you have to let us know, RJ. I'll check it out later. Yeah. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Yeah. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. I, there's no, there is nothing wrong with watching some Murder She Wrote. I mean, that's that's a lot of that's a hell of a commitment, but. It's not, yeah. it's not oh, made... my wife has a collection of old, like, uh, aerobics tapes. And she's got, like, an aerobics for seniors right. tape with Angela Lansbury. And, like, I remember, there's, like, a scene of her, like, in a bubble bath. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, because the reason I even know that is because of a found footage festival. They, um, when they go through and throw those old VHS types and make these montages for their like traveling show. I remember there was a lot of uh, attention to Angela Lansbury and yeah, uh, I remember there's a scene for her in the, the, the soapy tub. Yeah. Mm. Find it troubling that you both were able to pull that out so fast. Uh, this, uh, <laughs> this one scene of Angela Lansbury in a tub. <laughs> I don't even know who Angela Lansbury well, is. You, so. you don't realize you want it till you see it. RJ. I see. No. That's what people say about us. That's right. Uh, we're, we're almost there. We're almost to the end there. Justin Ooh. Peterson. It's mm-hmm. pronounced Harakiri, not Harry Carey. Hey, oh. Jared, RJ, and Double A, what's happening? And how mm-hmm. about the odd pronouncer that was left in the comments section for last week's movie? I much prefer the one Google recommends, Harakiri. Sure. Yeah, there there is a YouTube comment on how we were saying Harry Car- uh, Harry Carey. But uh, I think we even mentioned that in the thing. We're just like, we're not Japanese. We don't know how to say this word. Leave us alone. (laughs) Leave us alone. Isn't that like their preferred term besides that? Like uh, Uh, seppuku? Thank you. That's it. That's perfect pronunciation, by the way. I I worked really hard. (laughs) Flawless, RJ. Beautiful. So, Justin continues, I survived the doubleheader of my wife's birthday and our anniversary. Overall, I did good, but somehow I thought this was our 12th anniversary instead of our 13th. 
Uh oh. What can I say? I am awful with numbers. The same thing happened when I thought we had passed the seven year itch, but we are actually on year eight already. But really, Mother's Day actually carries the most pressure since our maniac kids are so unpredictable. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think kids are maniacs, especially I think he's got a bunch of boys. Boys are fucking animals, Jared. I don't know if you know this. I, I, didn't, know nuts. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's true. True story. So, what are some of the most stressful times of year for you, gents? The highlight of the week... Uh, yeah, I guess that's an open-ended question. Um, I don't know. I feel like the the weight of the world's always on my shoulders. I don't know. There's times of the year during the school year working. Uh, we were like, God damn. How, how am I going to get through this? How do I get through the week? How do I do a podcast every week? I have to see RJ's face. <laughs> for at least yeah. like two, three hours. And that's my own doing. That's my own fault. Yeah, it's your fault. But yeah, it's uh, it's not a time of year. It's a time of week every Wednesday. Those those depression memes we post every every week, that's not uh, cute. We are depressed. <laughs> and it's of our own doing, which it makes it more depressing. So uh, each Wednesday for us is uh, not great. But uh I don't uh double A Lang, do you uh being a comic guy, is there a busy season? Is like spring just like crazy for comic books? Or I don't know. Me. Not for you. <laughs> just more or less the same year round, I guess. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't have a I don't have a busy season now. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's okay. Me neither. The high Me neither. The highlight of the weekend was a trip to our local water park, which I was surprised to see had added two huge new water slides. Are you guys fans of water parks? Or does the thought of an ungodly amount of urine in the wave pool have you steer clear? Also, have you ever seen water parks in Canada be converted into winter parks? This was a thing I was shocked to see when I went to hmm. Quebec. For instance, the Lazy River being converted into an ice skating park? Hmm... I've never seen that, but I don't doubt it's a thing. Yeah, so. it's not up, not around our parts, but uh, mm -hmm. that seems like a Quebec thing. Uh, yeah, no, water parks, not not my thing. Uh, I love water parks, but I do hate the communal toilet aspect well, of pools in general. You, you, have, you have to accept so. that. Once you start getting to that pool, you are like kind of communing with everybody's butthole because it's, it's there. Communing, uh, communing. How you're just there. You're with it. Everyone, everyone that's in the water with you, that you're, you're touch. You're through the via the water. You're touching their butthole. So you better get over it. Okay. What part of the butthole, Jared? <laughs> All of it. All of it. You all say? Of it. Yeah, it's right there. So the, the reason I bring this up at all is because uh, in Creepsville, uh, mm -hmm. it seems like multiple times during the summer they shut the pool oh. down due to contamination, which is code, code brown. For, for poo. Someone pooed in the water, and everyone apparently the city uh, freaks out about this, and they shut it down for like what two days at a time. Well, they have to drain the entire pool and then fill, and clean it and fill it back up. And this was happening, just so you know, Double A Lang, in our pool, which isn't a big pool, this was happening every single day that the pool was open for about three weeks. Someone was taking a big hot shit in that pool for some reason. People just freaked out. I'm like, I feel oh, like yeah. I feel like in the olden days, they just fish it out and say, 
like let, let chlorine do its work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like seriously, it's like what what's the, I don't know. What did people do all this whole time? So do people not realize what the world that we live in? <laughs> uh no. No. But uh, well, and that's the thing. I I love water parks, but yeah, it's uh, those those pools are. If you can't be in there when it opens, get your hours worth before it gets real bad. You're you're better off not going at all, I think. But uh, I don't I don't know if you guys have a different opinion on that. No. <laughs> you a big water park guy there, Aaron? I'm gonna let you take a guess on that one. Yeah, uh, it's, it's so, kind of yes. it's, it's like yeah, you love that as much as playing hot dogs. <laughs> that's right. Speaking of the Great White North, what would you gents say are the top things everyone should do in Canada before they die? I don't know. What do you think, RJ? Not not much, man. It's like anywhere else. We don't have anything interesting, to be very honest. Like, people just kind of go about their day and go home. Like, that's it. I'm I'm sure there's more exciting answers. That's what travel brochures are for. Someone, there's a marketing team. The federal government probably pays a lot of money to. They'll tell you I mean, where to go. I mean, we have a dinosaur museum, but I don't think that's a must-see thing. Although Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie went there with their like 300 kids once, so that's kind of neat. Yeah. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, go, I don't know. Go to your uh, local Max and get yourself a bag of ketchup chips or some all dressed. As a matter of fact. Or some all dressed. Yep. Good point. Good point. Goat movie question of the week. How about an odd one in honor of this week's movies? What are the top movies RJ would likely tag as having the threat of rape or the act itself? Ooh. See, I don't know if I can even comment onto this because I, I know all the movies I have tagged as the threat of rape. So why don't you guys? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you can throw in some things. You suggestions guys like. for you? Well. Justin continues, trust me, I figured out that I should not mention A Clockwork Orange anymore when people ask me what my favorite movie is at work. Hmm. Because there's too much rape in it? I mean, kind of fun. It's an element of the movie, I guess. I mean, there is a rape, for sure. Yes. They, used to, they said rape in the tagline. Or, sorry. For Clockwork we're, Orange. We're, we're, he's, uh, he's mentioned, and so in Letterboxd, you can have, like... Mm-hmm. You can tag movies as a way to keep track of stuff. That's what he's. That's what he's referencing. Yeah, it would. It's not a. Ta- yeah, it's not a tagline on a movie poster. I can definitely see why you would think that. This this letterboxes yeah. that he's speaking. Um. Yeah, RJ. I don't know because RJ likes to use a a tag on Letterbox called the threat of rape. It's when there's not an actual rape in the movie, or sometimes there is, but it, the threat of rape is ever present. Where it's like you know, guys go up to girls and say, hey. Be pretty, pretty, uh, pretty important that you don't do this or that you do do that because if you don't, you know what might happen. Mm. You know what? I, I pulled up the movies I have the threat of rape tagged in. A lot of Criterion films. Yeah. A lot of Criterion films, mostly Italian. Do you have a top That's, movie? Uh, of the threat of rape? Yeah. Well, there's probably some that are more egregious than others. But what's your um, top movie thing- though that have that tag? Oni Baba. There you go. Because the threat of rape is ever present in that bad boy. Ever present. Oh, man. Of course, food question. What is your favorite snack you would consider unique? I love snacking on a bag of rye chips, which I typically only find at gas stations. I am also a pumpkin seed fan with the shell on. So, Aaron Lang, what's your favorite snack? 
cigarettes. No, what, fuck this. I already did. A <laughs> He's done. Now. He's done. Of the Canadian snacks I had, that's it. That's it. All you're getting from me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, see, this is what happens, though. They're, these people that listen to this podcast, Aaron, like not unlike yourself, they they got fingers in here. They they know what's going on. They know what people say. They remember. They people don't forget. People don't forget. Uh, so, Jarrett, snacks. Snacks. Um, I've become kind of addicted to uh, cinnamon bun Oreo cookies. Excuse me. Have you ever seen these at the grocery store? Well, I, I know that there's all sorts of kinds of oh yeah, they, uh, Oreo, of Oreo flavors, flavors, but but cinnamon bun Oreo f- cookies, oh, my god! I gotta say, I find this incredibly <laughs> surprising they're that so, this is this is your snack. They're so good, not in a bad way or anything like that. I just well, it uh, seems I don't I don't, I don't even know if it's unique. I mean, cinnamon's great with it, like a lot of things, and uh, yeah, yeah, in an Oreo cookie, you you didn't even know that you wanted it until you had it. Shocking! It's like the Lansbury in a hot bathtub of of snacks. Shocking! Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna hit you with the uh, salt and vinegar chips. Okay. Love it. Love it. Eat that shit dill, all the time. Dill pickle. What with that? I, I like dill pickle a lot too, but I like the salt and vinegars because you really feel it when you eat like a whole bag. You start sweating and shit, and you, like you know you were eating those, and you don't gotta go to the gym the next day or anything like that because you sweat so much because you eat the chips. Does that happen to you guys or no? <laughs> well, all right. I mean, what? Maybe my body just metabolizes at a higher. <laughs> your, your body's like giving you warning signs. Uh, surely, <laughs> it's trying to tell me that we're dying. You're sweating while you're eating chips. It's like this is coming out. My God. Uh, game talk any thoughts on watching let's play on youtube in the beginning i thought they were a nice way to help you get past the hard parts of games but now my kids are always watching the most obnoxious youtuber gamers of all time and even talk like them and want their merch uh i don't think i have an opinion on this i don't watch any of that stuff they they have started using cliches like i am not even gonna lie and to be totally honest that was epic and the worst one is yelling, let's go, every time they are happy about something. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. In my opinion, these YouTubers becoming so popular are now ruining today's youth. But I guess I'm just getting old. Anyways, congrats on joining the Creep Second Timers Club AA. And I hope you guys have a great show and you attempt to talk about everything that happens in these two movies. As always, thanks for the time. Uh, mm-hmm. So actually, speaking of... Things that people say, Aaron, I can't help but uh, want to bring up that I, I think it was like this past week on Facebook. And I think in the past, you've your umbrage with how people use the word folks. Oh, it drives me crazy. <laughs> I, I, I love uh, your, your okay, anger folks. about that. And how y'all do it. I think that was a while ago. but uh, That was a while ago. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, folks. Because yeah, that I find is such a weasel word that I, I think it's in the comments. I think people made a mention that like Obama might have popularized that one. And the, the, I just mm. most recently noticed it because like one of uh, Creepsville's uh, pol- political figures started dropping folks, trying to get everybody on the same page. Just, you know, folks are just trying to do this. Folks are just trying to do that. I don't know if I've noticed it. Oh, that's not true. I definitely do notice on Twitter. It's this, this pseudo like folksy, like down to earth thing that, you know, people who are not that at all are just abusing left and right so i don't like the term at all 
Yeah. I'm willing to look mm-hmm. the other way in like casual speech. You know, if that's how someone talks, someone likes to address, hey, folks, that's their business, you know. But what drives me crazy is how you're seeing it in like formal writing, like in articles, when you could have just said people. Oh, that's you're going to notice it's happening all the time. Like, I don't know, folks. It's in just... journalism, like where like there's really no this isn't like a server at Bob Evans greeting you. Like, no, someone like <laughs> chose this word at their keyboard and their editor approved it. And then they went to print and you're like, why are you, why are you doing this? Probably crazy. <laughs> so y'all's another one. What if someone were to say something like all y'all bad boys, like all y'all bad boys, like hot dogs with no toppings. Would that be okay with well, you? Or well, would that be a, uh, that's different. Though. Problematic. It, it, it's, <laughs> I think it's more in the use of a formal setting where it's become or written. Yeah, this yeah. People write it. It's like one thing to be from a certain region and say y'all. It's another thing to fucking type an apostrophe between a Y and an A for your memes or your tweets. Like, do you have an accent? And when you type, I mean, like, it mm. should not. You should not be writing y'all unless you're <laughs> writing dialogue with a dialect. How, how do you feel, uh, Aaron, about uh, email send-offs where people say things like uh, like cheers or um, bonsai or, you know, whatever? Like, how do you feel about those? What, like ending a, a missive? Yeah, like ending an email. Like, say you were sending an email to someone that you work with and you're just like, hey, uh, this, is, uh, this is what I got for today. Uh, I'll see you again in like two weeks. And then they said something like either like cheers or um, what's another like really popular send off. Are you are you on board with that or is that also oh, yeah. like. No, 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 is, no, that's good. That's fine. It's yeah. professional. A, a little sign off, you know, okay. I actually just write best. Best. I, 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 too, am a fan of best. That's uh, that's my sign off as well. What about you, Jared? What's your preferred uh, sign off? Usually. It's, Thank you. Usually it's thanks. Because yeah, often my emails it's are just so little, Canadian. Yeah, just thanks. No, thanks. I think. In, okay, I was just curious. Yeah, just curious. yeah. Why don't you just start? You should edit with "I'm sorry." I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm for. Sorry. I'm sorry for this email. That's just that's how it, that's how it opens. And thanks. Yeah. Thanks for reading. <laughs> sorry to inconvenience you, but uh, thanks. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Interesting. 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 Uh, last email from one Stephen Triber. Who? Uh, uh, the winner of the cereal box contest, RJ. Interesting. How, how could you forget, Stephen? Why well, we don't have a clever nickname, so it's uh, I always forget. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have to work on that one. Well, wow, tribe dog. Tri- tribe dog. He does have a dog. Tribe Dog. There you go. Tribe Dog. So, uh, finally 4K is the title of his email. Hey, Creeps. Mm -hmm. First time writing in. Trying to help get to 10 emails in an episode. Well, you failed, Stephen. You really really dropped the ball. Mm -hmm. Looks like the collection is finally going 4K. 
super exciting since I've recently invested in the 4K experience. I did some research after our convo, Jared, because I just talked to Steven like three, four hours ago at the comic store. And it looks like Mulholland Drive was shot on a Panavision Panaflex Platinum on 35mm film. So there's a possibility it could be a decent 4K transfer. So with the collection going 4K, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on 4K discs. Worth the upgrade or are you ride or die Blu-ray gang? I personally like buying a 4K disc when possible, mostly for HDR and Atmos soundtrack. Cheers, Steven Schreiber. Hmm. I th- uh, I, th- I thought I feel like we talked about format stuff the last time Aaron was on. Yeah, we did. Yeah, it's like, there we go. It's like it's, I don't even have Blu-ray yet. Right, I remember we were talking about this. Uh, yeah, just this is like the news, I guess that uh, and Sugar had mentioned it earlier, kind of buried mm-hmm. it. Uh, yeah, Criterion is doing 4K discs finally after uh, several years of kind of just not wanting to do it or saying they weren't doing it. And now here we are. It's announced, uh, along with the announcement that Citizen Kane will be joining the Criterion Collection proper. Uh, we, we don't have to worry about that because we already talked about that movie like four and a half years ago. So we're good. Yeah. yeah we, so we, we're just done forever? <laughs> we did our time. Well, I don't know. It's fine uh, that people are doing this 4K thing. I think mm-hmm. at the time I was mentioning to Stephen how I remember the last time I watched Mulholland Drive. It was. It, it is essentially a made-for-TV movie that was like a pilot, which is fitting for this week too. Um, that so it was not going to have like the most like lush production or anything like that because he had to like take it and re-edit this pilot into another movie. So I I remember when I was watching that on Blu-ray the last time, uh, I was pretty surprised at how shoddy it kind of looked. So I don't know if 4K is going to be the best friend of this. I messaged mm-hmm. uh, Mike from the from Justin to Kane podcast at the at this big mm-hmm. announcement that a four Kane, and um, yeah, he was. We talked a little bit about how f- he can't tell the difference between Blu-ray and four K, so mm-hmm. he's kind of like, well, that's cool, and this might push some people to maybe look at four K or probably not because I think that mm-hmm. I think Blu-ray stuff is kind of done. Though I think that it is the future of like collectibles. Like I think twenty years from now, the stuff coming out right now is going to have such low production values. There's going to be a lot of money for the speculator out there, um, mm. if people even care about movies at that point. <laughs> but I don't know. they, of course, they will. I think doubtful. Yeah. I mean, I've barely been able to tell the difference between VHS and Blu-ray. So like, I mean, it's cool, and like if people are excited about it, that's cool. I, I makes no difference to me. It just doesn't. It doesn't make any difference for me in my home. Right. I don't yeah. have like a kick-ass entertainment system. Like I don't have a nice TV. I don't have speakers. You know. Now my dad, my dad moved recently. He got a new house. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, he set up the basement as like a kind of like uh, entertainment room. And so I went over with my brother, and my dad's got this big ass TV, and he's got this like kick-ass sound system with like uh, the tweeters and everything and everything's positioned like all around surround sound. And my dad's like, check this out. And he puts on like this battle sequence from the fucking matrix. Nice. (laughs) Which I hadn't seen since like in the theater, like 20 years ago. Yeah. And it was so fucking cool. Like, (laughs) like, 
the bullet casings are like they're shooting their guns and the bullet casings, the shells are flying out. And as mm. the shells are hitting the ground in the tweeter speakers, you could hear a little tinging noise. And I was like, That's all cool. right, this, I understand having like a Blu-ray or a 4K when you've got all this kind of stuff going on. You know, mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. But, you know, here I'm watching my uh, movies on a, on a computer screen. It's a big computer screen. But, you know, it's not it's not going to do anything. A DVD is just fine for me. Yeah. I mean, well, you might miss out on some of that, like, David Bowie uh, mumbling or something like that. Where you're like, it, yeah. Not the, not the most uh, rich soundscape you need to catch or anything like that. Or, but so the, kind of going into, like, what you've been creeping on this week. I, I watched Heat just because we talked about it last week. And I was like, oh, shit. I, I just wanted to watch it again. And uh, there okay. it was on. Yeah. So I, I watched it with that surround sound, and man, that that bank heist, like the sound design of that thing, is just incredible. Because yeah, it's it just just nonstop sound, but it makes so like the sound is so clear and well layered that it's just this this seeming cacophony, and it just puts you into it. I don't know. It's one of those like things that like, I think it was like the bar for a lot of people testing out their sound systems. Like how does it how does it handle heat <laughs> or whatever? Mm -hmm. but, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, that was the, just when you're mentioning that watching the Matrix or whatever to test it out, and it's like, holy shit, this is incredible. It's like, yeah, when you're going from just like watching something on a like a computer screen and just like, yeah, this is mm. fine. I don't care. It's it's serviceable. And then you watch it in this like fully immersive kind of setup, uh, and people like, man, people spend a lot of money on it for some reason, I guess. And it's kind of cool that it actually pays off that you do get a result because sometimes people spend money on things you're like, I don't understand. Like, there's like, I don't get it. Um, you need like a room of your house for com that. committed. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a luxury right spot. Like, yeah, it's not like a, yeah, it's, I just don't have, that's just not feasible for me for a variety of reasons. For mm. sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it's a, that is, that is a lifestyle choice. Become, like having yeah. the, the committed room. RJ, when, when are you going to get in on that? When are you going to get that sound bar in? Uh, I don't even have a TV. I just watch all my movies on a, a digital watch that I have. So yeah. that's how I watch tonight's movies as well. Oh, so uh, Fantastic. it's one of those uh, Timex, uh, you know, <laughs> it's got the light up screen and shit like that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's like I said, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference even if like I, I, I agree with Aaron a lot. Like the TV I have is just a regular ass TV. It works for me. It's good enough, but uh, I don't have anything fancy. I don't got nothing fancy set up and to be honest, I don't want the fancy stuff because, like, the experience Aaron was talking about, like, seeing someone else's setup that's, like, real nice and then you actually start to notice things. I'm kind of like, in, also in The Matrix, as Cypher, Joe Pantoliano would say, ignorance is bliss. I don't want to know about all those things because I'm happy with the regular ass setup I have now. I don't need anything fancy. Once I see it, I'll want it. And that's That'll create a problem. So, so which pill are you uh, consuming then? Blue pill. The blue pill? I'm going yeah. back in. I'm going back in. Okay. Actually, I don't quote me on that. I don't know which pill is which. Yeah, there's there's some Red pills. pill. Blue <laughs> pill. Okay, the biggest matrix question of all, red pill or blue pill? This doesn't say anything about which one is which. God damn it. Okay, this is going to take a lot longer to look into, so. No. That's very significant. I mean, yes. I'll take the green pill beautiful yes well that's it for emails 
Not too bad. Ooh. Got it done under an hour or just over an hour, I guess. You're dedicated today. Not, not bad. Not too bad. I blasted through it. Um, Aaron, uh, you watched any movies this week? Ooh. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I'm dying to talk about. That's fair, too. Is there anything you would like to talk about? This is your time, man. It's your day, bud. I've been watching Deep Space Nine. Ooh. Ooh. How's that going? Right. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, somewhere early on in season four. I like it. Yeah. S- yeah. Se- season five is going to get rough. There's a. Oh, right. I remember you saying that. But then it picks back up again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah get into the. Yes. Whatever reason, season five of start, uh, Next Generation was kind of like that, too. Where it's just like, what's yep. up? What, what's off with this season? And. But yeah, it, it gets dramatically better. The thing with Next Gen is, like, I've probably seen every episode. I used to watch them on uh, cable. They used to run them all the time on this one station. So I just, mm-hmm. you know, for a while I was watching it pretty regularly, but it wasn't, like, ever in order. Right. So it's like, unless Riker's beardless, I couldn't tell you, like, what season something was. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. If you just, like, if I went at this point back and, like, an episode just popped up, I would season, yeah, once Riker's uh, bearded up and uh, there's the one thing where it's like Picard's uh, uniform kind of changes, where it starts opening mm-hmm. up to the blue thing. That's about all I remember. And other than that, the show looks pretty consistent all the way through. Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's no big changes. And then, like, eventually, like, Marina Sirtis starts wearing her uh, her actual Starfleet uniform. Not, that's after uh, the uh, unisuit. That's, that's after uh, Picard is, like, detained. Ch- 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 Chino that... commanded. Yeah, and then what's his name? Jellico or something comes in, and uh, he he's just like, "Hey, you gotta wear a uniform on this ship." And she's like, "Excuse me," and he's like, "No, you excuse me." And he's like, "Go put that shit on. You can't just be wearing whatever the fuck you feel like." Oh, That's like season five or six. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, yeah, I think Picard's new outfit is season four. It's when uh, it's when there's that episode with the, the metaphors, like the dinosaur guy who speaks in metaphors, uh, uh, or like Shaka like, when the walls fell. When the walls fell, yeah, that's when it. That's when uh, Picard's new outfit comes on, and I think I, I said it then, and I'll say it now. I think the only reason they changed his because he was the only one who changed his. I think Patrick Stewart was cold, so he wanted a jacket over top of his outfit because that's the only real difference. They gave him like a sweater and then a jacket. I think he was just cold. I think he just wanted more to wear. That's my guess. I don't know. He's an old guy. He's got no hair. Like, <laughs> must be cold. I don't know. How old was he on like the first season of Next Gen? He he's way well, younger than you think, up. probably. Yeah, yeah, that because it's like when you watch that as a as a younger person, you're think, oh, he's got to be well. So Christ, okay, so he would have been forty seven. All right, I mean, so it's not it's not young, but it's not super old. Yeah, forty seven sounds right. Yeah, cause, yeah, born yeah. born in nineteen forty, so yeah, it aired eighty seven, so yeah. So yeah, I mean so he, he 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 looks a whole lot a lot older than uh than and cuz he basically looks the same for a really long time. But mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like in your mind it's kind of like just all Patrick Stewart. You kind of have to like put two pictures next to each mm-hmm. other. Right. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So other than that, you're liking DS9, you're liking the long uh the long haul cuz that that show is just a long haul. There's a 
Yeah, Marlins. my wife, I think, is starting to uh, get a little burnout. Otherwise, I think we'd be further along. And my wife likes Star Trek, but there's mm-hmm. just like something about Deep Space Nine where like we're not like we're not just burning through it. You know, it's right. like maybe one or two a week. You know, we, we stay on top of it, but we're not like just like jazzed, like tearing through it. Right. Uh, it's I mean, it really is a very good show and mm-hmm. very ambitious, but it. It's just like missing some like sort of spark. There's some something ineffable, like ineffably missing with it. Mm. It it does, uh, and it it, do, it definitely has some dips too. So like I can see why, where you're saying your wife has burnout. Like there were times when I was watching it. Like I think DS9 is really good, but there was definitely like dips where you get a couple episodes in a row that are like really like drag you down you're just like holy fuck it's tough to kind of recover from that and then (laughs) season five could go either way with you guys like season five could be like you really feel it or maybe it's like the change up that you need but like uh i remember that the first i think half of season five i was like i was burnt out i was just like holy fuck i was like i'm almost done with this show (laughs) but it's worth it to keep going because it does it ends well but uh yeah, season yeah, that's, how, that's how I feel about Voyager. It's like yeah. the, the slow parts. Jared, have you come around in Voyager yet? Are you going to deal with this? I'm waiting for RJ to finish up because he's... you got to do it, dude. If there's some good stuff on there. Uh, RJ... So what are you afraid of? <laughs> what are you, is this, are you too proud? No, no, I, it's, it's just like you're like, no, I'm, not a, I'm not a Trekkie. I'm not a nerd. So no, no, no. Oh, no, I fucking... I'm a, I'm a nerd. I mean, I what did I watch? All of TNG and like six weeks i think yeah i i, I mainline that um yeah something about i mean i've been listening to rj on this this episode on these episodes the last i don't know three four months and nothing about it sells me on outside of like there's been like 10 episodes that are like sound really good that i'm mm-hmm. like i'd watch that but i don't know rj because how you've been describing it as uh it's, it feels like star trek for kids a lot of the time so this is what i'll say and because i know aaron lang was one of the biggest uh I wouldn't say like supporters of Voyager, but one of the people that was most like, yeah, give it a shot. Go, go watch it. So I'm almost done. I only have a couple episodes left. And uh, what I'll say is I do think, I think Voyager is a great entry point for families and kids. Uh, And not that it's a kid show, just that it's like, I think it's more accessible and it's a lot easier to kind of, um, there's, and I don't, I, this is going to come off harsh, but I don't mean it to. It's like kind of superficial in a sense where there's not a lot of episodes that kind of like really hit some heavy shit. There are though. So there are some episodes like that, but not as frequent or consistent as say like DS9 or, or TNG even. But um, I think uh, the big thing for Voyager for me is uh, it it doesn't feel as much like the other shows and that's not like a knock against it. Like the other ones I think are a lot more sciencey and I like that a lot more where this one is, it's kind of more playful and uh, that, and like I said, not bad. It is definitely more playful, but I do agree with Aaron. Like there are, um, there's definitely standout episodes where uh, I think we've had like, I don't know, maybe one or two a season that I've going, going through this that I, I think I've even said to Jared, it's like, you should watch this one for mm-hmm. sure because it is like, it's like top shelf Star Trek kind of stuff. Tuvix, it, man. Tuvix. Tuvix is <laughs> up here. And like, I now Tuvix that I've seen... You will never yeah. forget Tuvix. Oh, I, well, I've seen, the, I've seen the screenshots and I'm like, what in the world? I, actually, the episode yeah. I most want to watch is the one with the uh, the space dinosaurs, the ones that got blown to safety. Oh, 
that one is i I vaguely remember that one yeah that one's really good so it's like the spinosaurs like the guys with the things and it's like they left earth before like prime mates even evolved and they like they left and they're in the delta quadrant and like the entire episodes through their perspective that one is like i think i said to jared i was like that's one of the best like just flat out star trek episodes it's so good that one is really good uh i really like the episode where tom paris goes warp 10 and he starts to devolve into a lizard that episode is uh, when we talked about it it's super controversial people hate that episode but i loved it i thought it was so good (laughs) it is so weird rj have you seen the one yet where the doctor becomes like a pop star yeah, yeah, I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, uh, but where he becomes like the opera pop star yeah. for that planet. It's good, yeah. Yeah, the Doctor episodes are really good. Uh, I love all the Doctor episodes. Seven episodes are good, and uh, I like Chakotay episodes. Uh, but uh, the rest, like whenever you whenever you get a uh, Harry Kim kidnapped episode, eh. uh, Janeway episodes, they're all like Jane Eyre based, which is like season six and seven I've gotten into, and it's like, eh. Um, Tom Paris and Bola- Tom Paris episodes. I don't like Tom Paris at all. And then Bolana episodes. It's always just like, man, it's hard being Klingon. So it's whatever. It's uh, you know, business as usual for Klingon stuff. But uh, yeah, the Doctor <laughs> Opera episode is really good. Do you have any other like uh, standouts, uh, Aaron? Oh boy. Well, Tuvix and the Opera one are what come to mind off the top of my head. It's been a while since I watched them, but um. There's some there's some good ones for sure. And like there is they get like increasingly like morally compromised. Yeah. Like the longer they've been away, you know, they're just like, mm-hmm. fuck the prime directive. How are we going to get home? Yeah. And uh, those are a couple of the ones I've liked recently um, were the ones uh, where they they pass through a system. And then it's like that system views Voyager and as the bad guys. And it's kind of like, oh, that's like a. It's almost like an American or English colonialism thing where it's like colonialists come through, even if they don't like try to interact, they leave this like lasting impression that kind of taints things. And it's like, Oh, that's interesting. That's, and that's just a interesting like Star Trek uh, idea in general. But uh, yeah, two Vix, two Vix is a big one. Do you remember that? Like the end of, was it the end of next generation? They dropped this thing about like, Oh, uh, via the uh the federation no one's allowed to go above warp six anymore did they ever address that again no they like because like the show pretty well wraps up like what like the next over the next season because i think it was like god was that season seven because there's that whole thing where there's like mm-hmm. the, the one scientist is like no this is creating like tears in the fabric of the universe and they're just going to keep expanding we need to stop and then the whole thing is like that's not true and then it turns out oh it is true. And they're like, well, that's what the, that's what it's all about now. I guess we can't do above warp six. And then like deep space nine, they don't talk about it at all. Like, I feel like the defiance just ripping mm-hmm. around doing whatever it needs to do. But when Voyager's going, trying to do warp 10. So like <laughs> they, they don't mention that at all. Well, either. I mean, that, that'd be like a desperate situation, I guess. Yeah. Like it's not just for like usual, like, you know, shipping back and forth. Warp six is plenty fast, right? But yeah, no, like that's like never been brought up in anything ever again. It's like a weird thing because I remember the writers even said that yeah, it was an idea we had, but it just didn't work. It didn't play into anything because the episode is also not yeah. that popular. So they're just like, yeah, no one, no one's gonna hold us to that one. Mm-hmm. That's like stuff that like watching the show over again. I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting thing, and then nothing. 
because it was, it was supposed to be kind of almost like yeah. their uh, their Earth Day episode about being aware of the environment, and then people was like, "Boo! <laughs> like, don't don't tell me how to live my life <laughs> using yeah. allegories, stupid Star Trek." <laughs> I got a. Uh, I haven't started it yet, but I got a two volume oral history of Star Trek from the original series up to Enterprise. Two big books. It's like. So I wonder if they have anything to say about say about that. Be interesting. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think that yeah. Whenever I go to that uh, Memory Alpha Prime site, I think a lot of the pull quotes from that are from those from those books because I think this is like yeah, uh, mm-hmm. with the producers and stuff and saying yeah we had this really great idea and then it didn't play out right or something like that. Usually, a lot of the times it's that. Or sometimes you read some of the writers go like, this is my proudest moment on Star Trek. And it's just like this piece of shit episode. You're like, man. It's just like, but some people like it. And you're like, no. I, th- mm-hmm. I think the low point of Star Trek really, RJ's though, is that, uh, was it the, the the outrageous Okada, whatever the fuck it's called? Uh, I can't, I don't remember names. You gotta, you gotta hit me with what the episode's o- about. Okana. Yeah. It's like the one episode where they basically meet Han Solo. And oh yeah. That, that one's not great. No. At season two, episode four. I, I yeah. do. I think that's even worse than the, uh, space Irish people they meet. Ah. Oh yeah. The, uh, yeah. I, the space, <laughs> space Irish were interesting. Yeah. But yeah. Of the modern era, the, the Okana episode, that thing is whole. Yeah. Oh, not good. Not good. Dude, what is with the aliens on Deep Space Nine? Like, what you were the episode where the aliens they just have like skin that's kind of flaky, and like they're even like complaining about it. Like Quark's like, oh, I don't like them in my bar. They're like fucking <laughs> skin is like all over the place. And I'm just like, are you guys running, running out of ideas? Some of the aliens yeah. just look like gross, and stupid. Yeah, that, that was actually a. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, that they had like the really tall like red hair. Is that like yeah? Yeah, they're like Eric Stoltz looking. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's the one thing. So I've been watching Babylon Five, and I gotta say that 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 show definitely aims for more ambitious aliens. Like it's not all just guys with bumps on their forehead. They actually have like other kinds of aliens that exist at the same time as the you know your bipedal human humanoid Humano- types yeah it's like oh cool like you could they could have done this all along but it just became the template of star trek to have like well this, there's also i mean budgetary concerns and yeah i mean and i think they're just especially by d space nine they kind of fell into the this is comfortable because especially when we compare to like star wars which has like like you know crazy aliens but it's also just like they only have to make one movie and on a tv show budget it's like well we're going to do this but then you look at babylon 5 and it's like well that show has like no budget and they are like pushing well beyond their boundaries in terms of like what they could accomplish. Cause man, those effect shots of their ship, whew, the, the, whereas like Star Trek looks like fantastic. Like the, and then some of the Star Trek movies, like even just like for background bits have like some crazier aliens. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Like when they do the, their Mos Eisley bits, when they go to like, you know, you know, Picard's going to some dumpy island with Riker, and then there's like some crazy bar, and there's some like a little bit more ambitious aliens and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely, def- definitely the more original the series movies. I think did that a lot too. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. But I think that was yeah, kind of that post Star Wars impact. Because on the, I mean, they would do like light, like clouds, <laughs> like uh, nebulous cloud creatures. Uh, they had like the salt vampire or the Horta. But that was always like, isn't this crazy that aliens could just be 
giant blobs <laughs> and which blobs oh you know the the horta i always think that's my favorite oh. that's gotta be one of my favorite aliens Cause... yeah those the blob aliens are i like any aliens that aren't uh, anthropomorphic that yeah. like aren't the bipedal humanoids so i like the blob guys uh one that is actually a biped that i liked that came up in tng a lot and i think maybe once in ds9 but never i haven't seen him in voyager is those like fishy kind of guys that have like the mister in front of them oh yeah it's like sticking out and it like keeps their face wet all the time i kind of <laughs> like those guys they're because it's interesting i'm like yeah I'm, I'm on board with that that's cool it's different uh those guys are cool um I don't know. There, there, there's lots of good aliens, like the dinosaur aliens in Voyager. Those guys are cool. Uh, Voyager has some really cool species, but it also has the absolute worst Star Trek species, which is the Kazon. <laughs> Those guys, oh my god, I hate them so much. They're oh, so stupid. <laughs> just frizzy ass hair, just desert guys. Like I don't know, they stink. But oh well, whatever. Kazon. Kazon. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, yeah. RJ, what have you been creeping on? I, I mean, nothing really. I, I, I have watched Voyager. I don't need to talk about it, well, but I well, was going to... What? We'll, we'll save that for the next episode. Yeah. When it's just you and me, buddy. Uh, yeah, we'll, I'll, we'll hit that when there's no one here, and I, I can waste your time and not other people's. But uh, the one thing I was going to watch, there's a movie on Crave called Stardust, and it's a Canadian movie, and it's about David Bowie early days. And I was going to watch it, uh, but then I pulled up Letterboxd just to see, and then all I saw was, like, it, like staggering uh, negative reviews. Like, because I don't even really read reviews, but on their, like, the little... You know, they have that little bell curve thing or like the little curve with the great uh, gratings. It was all on the far end. And I was like, oh, what's this about? And apparently like David Bowie didn't want them to make a biopic. And he like they were denied rights to his music. So they don't even really sing Bowie music in it. He's seen like other band songs. And then I was like, oh, this sounds like shit. So I didn't watch it. I was going to for for you guys, but uh, or for you know, the Bowie people out there. And I, I wanted to watch it too. It's like, I love David Bowie. I'd love a Bowie it. pick. It came out like last year, but apparently it was like his whole family was just, like Bowie's whole family was just like, Mm-mm. it's like, we did not approve this. Why would you even do it? I, I don't know. And that's the thing. Like, cause the only, re- like, I think the most popular review I saw and that's the only one I read was like, it's like David Bowie, comes out and they announce it like for the first time Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars and they come out and then they sing a Yardbird song and it's not even a, a Bowie song or something like that and it's just like oh that's so oh, strange and I see uh, Mark Maron's in it yeah Mark Mar- well Mark Maron's in lots of shit right like I, 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 yeah it's just let me see it's a it's a piece of Canadiana I'm like oh yeah a Jenna Malone well, and that's <laughs> Well, and that, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, it's on, it was on Crave and it's a, it was advertised as a Canadian film about Bowie. And I was like, oh, this sounds great. And then I didn't realize that uh, David Bowie himself, like, cause they had talked about it a couple of years before, cause he's been dead for fuck, fuck five, six years now. Yeah. But uh, apparently he was just like, I don't want a movie. Don't make a movie about me. I, and he's like, and he told his family that it's like, don't ever give my rights out. And he's like, I don't want a movie. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't like the movie but i think todd haynes had the kind of the right idea with velvet Goldmine. Uh, yeah, yeah yeah i was going to say that was kind of like we already kind of got the 
David Bowie biopic with the serial numbers filed off. Yeah. Yeah, I should have. Maybe I should have watched that. But uh, it's not that good. But it's good enough. I mean, Bowie's such a mercurial kind of like. Mm-hmm. There's so many layers of artifice. Like it seems like it's same with Bob Dylan, and so Todd yeah. Haynes kind of instead of trying to cut through that, he embraces it. And yeah. I don't think it's ever worked, especially that Dylan movie. I couldn't even finish. <laughs> but I respect him trying to go in that direction with it. Mm-hmm. Aaron, did you ever watch uh, Control, the uh, Joy Division movie? No. Bodie and Karen. That one's actually not bad. That one's yeah. that one's pretty good. If you're a if you like Joy Division and uh, what's is what's his name? Ian Curtis is that the, I do, the yeah. Joy? Yeah, I do like yeah. Joy Division. I just don't understand why they're like held on like such a pedestal. I don't know. I think it's like a, it's almost like the Nirvana thing, where it's, it's like the, they were just kind yeah, of like the yeah. opening door to it. And then this, when you die like that, it kind of creates yeah. and led. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what it is. And like, like I understand like the context of Nirvana too, but I actually, I had someone like yell at me uh, like a couple weeks ago. Cause I was like, I think Foo Fighters is better than Nirvana. And someone was like, what? It's like <laughs> Nirvana is so influential. It's like, I get that. I was like, but Foo Fighters is a more better band. And they're just like, no, you're wrong. And I was like, all right. I was like, I don't care. Whatever. You are wrong. <laughs> I, I, I know. Yeah. I realize that. But I think it's I think it's the same with the Joy Division thing where it's just like where, where you're just like, why is Joy Division held in such high regard? It's I think it's the same as Nirvana. They were just like the, the people that opened the door to a, a certain thing. But I, 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 still, I still have to get RJ. Uh, ask me about punk music T-shirt. And you can, oh, then, then you can wear your flannel over top of that, RJ. And you can have all your opinions about music over there. Hey, I got opinions, man. Foo, foo Fighters. <laughs> I like Foo Fighters. They're you. Someone's got. Like I mean, they're people. they're a popular band. You know, they got a. They are popular. They, they hey, got, Dave Grohl. I think we can all admit Dave Grohl seems like a good guy. I think so. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. He seems fine. He seems like a nice guy. Anyway, so I didn't really watch anything, Jared. I just I almost watched that Bowie movie, and then I was surprised at the, the negative uh, rea- uh, reception to it, and I was like, oh weird so that's it for me cool um yeah i mean as i said before i watched heat um that movie holds up it's mm-hmm. uh i don't know it's i'm yeah. a mohicans guy what's that last of the mohicans oh, that, oh yeah. hey that when it comes to michael mann yep i i think i don't know if i ever talked about it on the podcast probably have i remember watching that my parents rented it and I remember like half watching it and being like, oh, cool. This is kind of a neat movie. It's a, cause I would have been, what year was that? 92. So I was nine yeah. when it came out. So I was 10 when my parents would have probably rented it on tape. And I remember watching it and the scene where, um, the, uh, the one soldier is like burnt alive, <laughs> like horrified me as a kid i was just like what the fuck why would you do that to somebody and then like for a long time like that scene stuck out in my head and then when i finally rewatched it sometime later because i was just like i should watch that movie again conquer my fear of, of a man being burnt alive uh and being put out of his misery because that kicks off like one of the best sequences again like michael mann's got another like incredible sequence where uh it's like the big chase of and the revenge of it, uh, as he's taken down like West Duty and everybody going along down the as it goes along. Um, yeah, it's oh, so good. 
that's a really good movie. The score is incredible. Yeah. I mean, everything about that movie is just like phenomenal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nineties man. Take it away anytime. Yeah. No, that's that's uh, I I'm, I mm-hmm. I can live with that. I, that's uh, they're all they're all to me top shelf top shelf movies. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of did uh, I'm just wondering if uh, what's his name this the guy who did the score Elliot Goldenthal did he also work on Last of the Mohicans by chance? Because if he did, like the movie the score the one we were talking about last week. No, no the, the 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 movie score for Heat he did not work not... on. Uh, Last of the Mohicans, but he did work on mm. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, Alien Three, Ooh, Interview with the Vampire, RJ. Those are all good movies. All good movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and of course, uh, everybody loves Cobb, starring Tommy Lee Jones. Is that about Ty Cobb? It is about Ty Cobb. <laughs> is that a good movie? Uh, <laughs> have you seen that? I have seen it a couple times. A couple times. Uh, well, I, wow. I, I remember my, again, it's another one of these movies my parents rented. And I remember it's like, uh, even way back when, you're like, man, Ty Cobb seems like a bad dude. <laughs> I don't understand actors like Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. Yeah. Who, like, seem to have the attitude I had about the various shitty jobs I had when I was young. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where you're just like, does I have to be here? I don't want to be here. They just like they just seem so uninvested and just like pissy about it. Like they're just like, and they, so they would like even more so when they have to like like go on Letterman or like promote it. They are just like seething with like resentment. Like like no one's making you do this. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the same with us, right? Is that why? Is that why you? gravitated to our podcast Aaron Lang is because we give off the same mentality yeah potentially I don't know what mentality you guys are giving off I don't know either <laughs> whatever it is it's not good it's not good yeah I I mean it's one of those things I kind of like about Harrison Ford because he just I don't know the, the, those things when he shows up candidly it's like he, he comes off as like this kind of an asshole mm-hmm. um and he and he seems to get away with it when he's not like crashing his airplane and stuff like that and breaking his legs and such. But um, I don't know, weird guy. Tommy Lee Jones though is is he a dick or does he like do that? I don't I don't know if I've ever actually seen him. He, he seems like he's he's completely removed from like movies now though. I don't think he does anything. He's right? Pretty old. He's yeah. pretty old. Well, it's kind of like Gene Hackman too, where it's like these guys are like officially retired or unofficially retired, and they just. I mean, yeah, like I said, like these guys are in their late 70s or 80s now some of them well the hackman got out before he was too old but like tommy lee jones because uh like in no country he was pretty old but like whatever came out right after that like you can tell how old he is well he is younger he is young he's six years younger than patrick stewart fuck what was I? I was thinking. Of, there's something I watched with him recently when I was just like, "Holy fuck, Tommy Lee Jones is old." Uh, was it Ad Astra? No, I haven't seen that. Maybe I'm looking. I haven't seen any of these. Oh, it was Men in Black Three, which came out fucking nine years ago. <laughs> nine years ago, and I was like, "Holy shit, Tommy Lee Jones is old." Well, look him on the poster of The Homesman from 2014. It's like it's like some Methuselah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, real good stuff. Yeah. Oh well. 
I think I always think of Tommy Lee Jones from Under Siege for some reason. That seems to be like one of those iconic performances in my head. Even though not it's from like Cobb? not from Cobb, even. Interesting. As so a, you're big Cobb as guy a, as when a, it's convenient. Yes. He's a hateful bigot. Uh, only when it's convenient to your narrative, I apparently. <laughs> apparently. Interesting. Fuck. I don't know. Interesting. Well, damn. Well, you know what? We talked about, I mean, the only news that seems to matter about 4K shit. And yeah. uh, talked about movies and what we watched. So, fuck, we can start start talking about these rogue movies after the break. Oof. How's that? All sound? right. All right. Uh, not bad. We're doing pretty good. Lots of, Not bad. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's not pretty bad. sweet. Yeah, it's excellent, excellent. Uh, yeah, so after the break. Uh, man, these movies aren't laughing matters really. They're they're. Is RJ? Why are you so sweaty, dude? I don't know. He's been like this I, for weeks. I just he's I don't he's like he's got this dip. sheen on his face. Yeah, I don't it's know. It's not it's not sweat. It's just the glare of my forehead. It looks like Lester Bangs, so dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's a I I use pomade in my hair and it and it's like it's like a wax and it like comes down and it just I, makes I it, but I had hair yeah I remember pomade it's just it's just shiny <laughs> it's not quite but I am a super sweaty dude like uh usually I sweat a lot but um yeah I think it's just pomade shine <laughs> well go clean up during the break yeah, and, I'll, uh, I'll yeah. try wipe wipe I'll down mm-hmm. after the break. Um, damn it. I don't know. I don't know what to say about bad. Bad timing is a dark, grim time. It's about, it's a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's me. What a big surprise. Calling you up from a restaurant round the bend. Just got in from way up north Making tired now And I could use a friend I might be a fool Think that you do Wanna see me again I know it's been a while since I've talked to you Nothing wrong, just nothing ever goes as planned Many times I thought I'd call Didn't have your number in my hand I know it's true You'd never do the same Would you like to confess, Dr. Linden? 
Ever been married? Nope. You don't believe me, do you? You think I'm lying. You'll never change, Melina. Never. You gotta understand me the way I am. Difficult to lie. <gasps> Difficult. In this area. You'd like me to go with you! Now, I, want I can't to remember the time with any precision. But I'm not asking you for the precise time. So could it have been half past 12, perhaps? 10, 11, midnight? No. What do you do work in documentary surgery? No, I'm a research psychoanalyst. I teach. We are constantly in isolation, watching, spying on everyone and everything around us. What I need is a confession. It's just that I can't stand to think of you with anyone else. Is your girlfriend a bit mad? Mad is an expression I never use. Welcome to the wake! <laughs> James, you can lock me up, but I'll never be yours. Tell me! We're alone here, no witnesses. I say we go back, we get married. What about now? What do you mean now? Here, right now, this minute, this second, look where we are. Melina, did you miss that I asked you just now to marry me? No! Confess. When I'm with you, I'm with you. I love being with you. Melina, what does that mean, with me, not with me? Confess between us. Tell me what you dare not. Tell you what? About ravishment. I could understand people who live in this sort of disorder, dangerous creatures, to themselves and others. What do they do? They try to drag us into their confusion, their chaos. Don't ever use that word love again, and I promise I won't. Bad timing, a terrifying love story. And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about two, count of two, Nicholas Rogue movies. And we're being joined by a friend of the show, Aaron Lang, Cleveland cartoonist and raconteur. <laughs> is, is that an official designation or that's, that's, I'm, I'm pretty sure i saw that business card right raconteur am i even saying it right i think, I think it's, it's all it's yeah close enough. good enough for me someone will let us know i'm sure in the comments yes yeah yes uh, first up we got bad timing directed by nicholas rogue from 1980 why, why first I don't know. It's that's, that's a spine order. It's spine not even, order. Don't tell. It's don't, the spine don't, order. It's spine order. It's not by numerical. Yeah, I know. It pissed me off too because mm-hmm. it shouldn't be because it's 1980. Fuck spine order. Yep. That's how. That's how John Criterion wants us to watch these goddamn <laughs> movies. So he said. He said, um, he said you're watching bad timing first, and then you'll watch the movie you made four, four years earlier. Because fuck you. That's how it starts. So. Um, I just. That's gonna be a one. <laughs> The only time that's happened where a, a films that were made back to back are released back to back, but in the wrong order. That's got to be a. That's oh, got to yeah. be first. That's the Criterion Collection, baby. They do whatever the fuck they feel like. <laughs> yeah, no one tells John what to do. No, put, no one puts Johnny in the corner. <laughs> the tagline right. for bad timing 
his terrifying obsession took them to the brink of death and beyond. What kind of movie is this? <laughs> Jesus. Wait, that's the tagline? Yeah. Strange. <laughs> so, did you guys see this before? Or was Never. This the first watch. The first time. These are both three watches for uh, the big dog over here. Yeah, RJ somehow watched Bad Timing before me. I uh, so actually I'll, I'll talk. Well, I'll just tell you guys now. Like, uh, I so I own Bad Timing and Man Who Fell to Earth. Uh, Man Who Fell to Earth, my old roommate bought for me as a birthday present. But uh, before that, I had bought Bad Timing because Christopher Nolan said that he was a big fan of it because it was non-linear. Uh, and I was like, hmm, I'm interested in nonlinear storytelling. So uh, I bought I before we even started the podcast, I, I had uh, I had bad timing and I had seen it. But um, I haven't watched it since then, obviously. But uh, yeah, both of these, about, yeah, sorry, go ahead. 15 years ago. So 15 years. Oh, OK, see, so, that's that's so longer than. Did, so myself, did you yeah. watch it after right, you would have watched it right after it actually was available by Criterion, right? Because there was like this period of time where this was just like not commercially available, like outside of maybe bootlegs and stuff like that, because. Yeah, right. Yes. So I got it a little long ago. I actually rented it. Uh, like I yeah. got it out of the video store. So it must have been around when it came out on Criterion. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it was, yeah, because they would have been, I remember like yeah, on Wikipedia it mentions it was the first time it had been available outside of a a documentary that had clips oh. of it, uh, that Z, uh, oh, that, yeah, we'll get there. Well, I was just saying earlier today, I was talking to my wife about it, how like no one ever seems to talk about bad timing in relation to mm-hmm. Nicholas movies. I guess that explains it because it barely got released theatrically and then it was never on VHS. It was just kind of like, you know, a real obscurity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird because it's like, this was honestly, this was the first Nick Rogue movie I had seen over any of the others. So like, uh, uh, like, like I agree with you. It is like probably one of the least talked about ones, but this was the one I watched before anything else. And I, I think I, I hold this one in man who fell to earth in higher regards to, definitely walk about or like fucking witches or i mean don't look now is a different thing altogether but i haven't uh, seen walkabout i've seen every other i've seen everything else from performance up to bad timing with the exception of walkabout you're okay it's fine to miss that one don't worry i mean yeah it's kind of what i hear but like i do like nicholas rogue so yeah Uh, i don't know i my opinion's mixed but uh and after, about... uh after bad timing the only one i've seen is uh track 29 oh yeah see i haven't seen that one no i don't yeah. i don't know that one it's a weird one it's gary oldman Teresa russell again and uh, christopher lloyd it's mm. really really weird like gary oldman shows up and you can't tell if he's real or not mm, one of those <laughs> yeah Teresa russell's like son but like maybe he's like in her imagination and it gets kind of like edible, you know, mm. Christopher Lloyd is her husband and he's like really into model trains. Uh, it's a who isn't. It's a fucking weird movie. Uh, I was gonna, so yeah, he, he's got weird ones for sure. I was going to say with bad timing, I 
knew nothing about this movie at all uh, oh, when, when I started watching it. So it was good. completely wrong. Yeah. I, I thought this movie was going to be what I think insignificance is. Because I think when I was talking about it, I'm like, yeah, I think Albert Einstein and Marilyn Monroe. And I'm like, nope, that's a different mm-hmm. movie called Insignificance, which I thought that's what Bad Timing was. So that's how much I knew going in. Because there's also Eureka and Bad Timing are kind of viewed as this trilogy of movies because he just made mm-hmm. them three in a row, I guess. And they all have, I think, Teresa Russell's in all three. His uh, who would who would go on to be after I think after bad timing, uh, Nick Rogue and Teresa Russell would get married and be together for like fifteen years. Ooh. Yeah, she's had a crazy career. I really like her. And then she's like, it's not a good movie, but like another classic Teresa Russell role is uh, uh, Ken Russell's horror. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, like obnoxious movie, but classic <laughs> Teresa Russell. Yeah, well, yeah, not I, a lot of actresses would do what she does. She is just like really she's she goes there you know <laughs> oh so bad timing a, a synopsis for this movie oh Alex Linden is a psychiatrist living in Vienna who meets uh, Milena Flaherty, uh, though a mutual or through a mutual friend. Though Alex is quite a bit older than Milena, he's attracted to her young, carefree spirit. Despite the fact that Milena is already married, their friendship quickly turns into a deeply passionate love affair that threatens to overtake them both. When Milena ends up in the hospital from an overdose, Alex is taken into custody by Inspector Natusel. Um, so, I mean, that's like, this is the magic, I think, of Nick Rogue's filmmaking is because he could take mm-hmm. what sounds like a pretty by the numbers movie that no one will ever talk about ever again. Um, but he brings that Nicholas Rogue magic to it with that uh, disjunctive editing of his, or, which I think if you take that away from these movies, I don't know what you'd be left with. Am I wrong? I, here? I agree. <laughs> I agree completely. It's the non-linear disjunctive storytelling that uh, really stands out for a uh, bad timing. What about you, Aaron Lang? Well, you like what, the, that editing? Yeah, that's what I like about Nicholas Rogue because he actually makes movies. Like yeah. They're actually mm-hmm. cinematic and he uses the language that's inherent to cinema. He's not mm-hmm. just like making like a TV show or filming a play. It's not just like, it's not screenplay driven. It's mm-hmm. director driven. Which is what, I like, I, you know, I like plenty of these like prestige streaming tv shows you know some of them are good but they're very very writer driven they're not director driven and they don't often employ the language of cinema like the type of editing uh cinematography maybe they you know they could there's nothing stopping them but um you know you know what i'm saying yeah i do well i mean outside of um you have to be a heavy hitter to be able to kind of get away with doing anything resembling um experimentation with like television because i mean even uh when david lynch was doing his twin peaks the return stuff i mean there, there's still people that probably hate his guts for those scenes where it's like hey it's a guy pushing a broom and cleaning the floor of the bar for like five minutes i wasn't a fan to be honest yeah <laughs> I, I i love i don't know if either of you guys have seen but there's that like behind the scenes thing of uh david lynch on twin peaks where someone is like people aren't gonna like this scene's got to be under this kind of time limit and david lynch was like who fucking gives a shit he's like if if a scene is ho- however long i want it to be and he, he doesn't he like takes his lynch headphones voice. off he's yeah. like yeah. everyone keeps fucking saying this <laughs> He's, like, he's just like I'm gonna do whatever I yeah, feel like. Who the, the, gives a shit? I, I've I've said this before. I mean, I think uh, David is an angry, angry man, and the the Jimmy Stewart bullshit and the transcendental meditation 
it's all just a mask, which makes sense because uh, it's like one of his movies are about. It's sort of this like this seething <clears throat> anger and the way he his villains and the way he writes. Um, there's something there to it, which I think is why yes. stuff is interesting. But man, I think like, both can be true. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's like because he's all bowling. But man, like you see those moments, those glimmers of like the the simmering rage that break through, and you're just like, huh. I mean, so far his all his uh, all his his ladies, because he's got all these women that uh, he works with only, and they all oh, David. He's so wonderful, and I'm like, oh, I just feel like are we are we just like any morning I will see Twitter. Can- canceling David Lynch, and it'll be like, oh dear, who could have seen it coming? But I hope not, because mm. I like I like his movies a lot. <laughs> but that, oh, yes. all, that all being said, so this mm-hmm. movie opens up, and I was like, it's, it's a profile shot of Art Garf- Garfunkel, who I did not realize was in this movie. And then I was like, who's this Art Garfunkel looking guy? And then the title card comes up, Art Garfunkel. I went, oh, well played, Nick Rogue. Nick, well played. Because, um, mm-hmm. yeah, Art Gar- Garfunkel, he's a guy that shows up in these movies once in a while. He shows up in Catch-22. Uh, way back, I, I mean, it's been years since I've seen it, I watched Carnal Knowledge. And it was always like, it was, it was this like Art Garfunkel guy. Like, I barely ever listened to like Simon and Garfunkel until I probably saw movies with him in it. And I was always like, who is this guy? Um, and then going back and listening to his music and be like, oh, it's these songs from AM Radio. And like started connecting yeah. the dots back. This is a while back. So, but I've always have actually been fairly impressed with him as an actor. I think he's pretty good. Uh, and this movie does himself no favors at all because, uh, mm-hmm. like, man, I don't know. I could walk away thinking anything good about uh, art. Actually. I think he's great in this movie, yeah. and I also yes. think he fucking looks really cool. And he's yes. not normally a guy you think of as like a style icon, but no. whenever he's he's pulling it off, just like. Suits are cool. He's got cigarettes. He's got sunglasses. Yeah. His hair's just like disheveled the right amount. Mm-hmm. He's got he's got something going on. He's, he's got that weird like balding fro. <laughs> yeah, and it looks oh, yeah. good. Like it does. Yeah. So you brought up the cigarettes, and I I just be I'd be remiss if I didn't mention again that you are living my best life. The fact that you can smoke inside of your house it's amazing. I love it. But uh, yeah. Art Garfunkel, the beanpole with an afro. <laughs> it is a distinct look. But and there was, car, I was. That car uh, drives. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but so I was taking screenshots today for the Instagram because I know, Aaron, you you watch our Instagram. You know, I hit, hit the boys with the dank memes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> there, there's a, I was taking some screenshots and there's a scene where his eyes are sparkling. Like they honestly, like they look beautiful and like i didn't notice it when i was watching the movie but when i was screenshotting it i was just like wow what a handsome man just based on his sparkling eyeballs uh but i was gonna say i never do this but uh because the man who fell to earth was uh given to me as a uh, present i actually watched the supplements and uh there was a, a mention and i'll just say now because they talk about it with david bowie but the same vein because the guy even says he's like, well, it's the same thing that uh, Nick did with Bad Timing, casting Art Garfunkel, and uh, he said he liked performers, not actors. He liked using people who had like stage presence. Well, that and Nick th- Jagger. That's what it was all about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like his big thing is like it wasn't just that they were like music stars. He's like, I just like people who or Nick Rogue just like people who had stage presence and that's why he went after these big performing artists. But so, so, the Garfunkel effect. 
so Aaron, you went to the one place I was I was going to mention mm. eventually because there's like a thorough line between the, uh, bad timing, man who fell to earth, and performance. Obviously, with uh, him using musicians uh, as like lead characters. But the other thing, uh, the the secret lead of these three movies is just like the most. I don't know, destitute, gross ass beds, <laughs> like or oh, just yes. like bed sheets, and just like this, like I don't know, I, I don't know a lot about the biographical life of Nick Rogue, but this is a guy that feels like he has struggled with depression, because I feel like he spends a lot of time in bed and thinks about, does a lot of writing in bed and wallowing in bed, and like he always everything comes back to that, and he also has a lot of sex in bed and just smoking cigarettes, drinking in bed, and. I don't know. That's like if I had to think of like because usually uh, walkabout is the go to movie for Rogue. Like and so it's like this outback mm-hmm. scene, which makes no sense. Like because none of his other movies even feel like that at all. But other than the disjunctive editing that permeates walkabout, but with these three movies, like those three movies in performance, which I'm not even that crazy of. A, I'm not the big fan of performance. I've tried. Oh, I've tried. Performance mm-hmm. really hit me hard when I first, I saw it at a uh, screening in my early twenties, and I was blown away by it. And then I watched it again, you know, some years after, and it didn't it didn't have the same effect on me. Right. I'd like to see, I'd like to revisit it, but the first time I saw it, it really fucking blew me away. But I'm not sure it holds up or not. But it's it's wild. It, people people still really like it. Um, like when I check out my uh, on Letterbox, the people I follow and stuff like that. Overall, people seem to be really really high on that movie, and it should be like right up my alley. Um, but. Because especially at the time, because you have this, like, British gangster story, uh, kind of psychedelic, heady, like, uh, shifting identities. Uh, it's It should be great. And something about it just leaves me totally... Cause it's also a weird movie, too, because it's got two directors. Cause Do you know Don, about the other directors? I know. Ah, see, this is where things blur for me, because I know I've looked this, that Don Camel, right? Yeah. Uh, and his, like, unfortunate fortunate like because what did he die from because there's these I, 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 right because there's don camel and i always confuse him with the guy directed Witchfinder general for some reason in my head but their their stories blur but they're different people <laughs> he committed suicide in this like intentionally in this way where you like die slowly and you're conscious the whole time yeah mm-hmm. like i, I like that i don't know how much of that's like uh, an urban Camel, well, here, uh, Camel committed suicide by shotgun in 1996. So, I'm, the Hemingway approach. Now, see, the one for some reason, I, I'm, I conflate Don Camel and Michael Reeves for some reason, but like Michael Reeves just died of like a accidental alcohol and barbiturate overdose. So, completely different. But for some reason, I, I lump these two uh, English filmmakers together and so, yeah so here and actually so speaking of uh don camel another one of his movies that i i'm just not a fan of what he's doing because white of the eye that's another movie that people like fucking love that movie and i was just when i first watched it i was kind of like this is so boring and i like demon seed his movie about yeah <laughs> i've seen that one <laughs> yeah. oh yeah arms oh yeah demon seed's all right yeah good it, stuff good stuff and then he's some movie called duffy that is a c- crime mm. comedy with Susanna york oh dear <laughs> anyway what movie we're talking about we're talking about bad timing so oh, sure uh you get tossed into this movie and there's it's just gonna be a 
these two couple this this girl and this guy they meet but she's we're getting the story kind of from the contemporary which is her having an overdose him bringing her into the hospital the police are asking questions like how do you know them and of course he's very evasive about it non-committal which is kind of the nature of their relationship and then the story is going to unfold um Eventually, we're introduced to one of uh, Vienna's greatest actors, Harvey Keitel. Uh, Isn't he Canadian? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Sorry. My mistake. Yeah. So yeah. Canadian by way of Vienna. Harvey Keitel. Unmistakable. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't know what was up with uh, Harvey Keitel getting cast in all these things. This man with like the thickest like New York accent imaginable. <laughs> being Showing up as Judas. In Last Temptation of Christ, mm-hmm. here he's playing a Viennese uh, police detective. What's the Ridley Scott dueling one? Oh, uh, the Duelist. Yeah, Duelist. Du- yeah, yeah. Oh, that movie's great. Yeah, I mean that one, that yeah. movie. I mean, you got like Carradines and stuff like that too. So that one's fine. Like yeah. at least it's all. But here you have, um, I don't know. <laughs> it's so it's so odd. But it's like I I think Harvey Keitel also is. Uh, Pretty cool here. Look, looking pretty nice. His long flowing hair, um, but I don't know. It so I'm, I'm got sidetracked here a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we start getting the flashbacks of the the blossoming of their relationship. Uh, they kind of they just kind of cross paths at a party. Uh, at first, yes, at first, and then yeah. like yeah, she she's into she's into what he is. She's into the, the the bean pole with the afro on top. Yeah, she she likes his uh, demeanor, and he actually he's just trying to trying to roll by, but she doesn't let she doesn't allow that jerk. She seems he like, says, "Hey, she, she, I'm she, into you." She seems like trouble. Um, we oh, get yeah. a it's... we get a real showcase of Gustav Klimt paintings. Uh, uh, RJ, do you know who that is? <laughs> Gustav Klimt, he's one of my faves. Nah. I love that guy. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Well, do you notice there's also then there's the Egon Shield as well. Yes. Oh yeah. I think that's the kind of the key to the movie, and and the setting. Where, <laughs> where you might you might want to think that like, uh, Art Garfunkel is like the Klimt, like kind of orderly and put together, and that Teresa Russell is the Egon Shield and kind of crazy. But really, I think the opposite is true, as we learn at the end of the film. Right. Uh, so Clint is kind of like shiny and decorative and like extroverted, and that's Teresa Russell. And then with Sheol, there's something not right. There's like a real uh, diseased thinking going on. And as we mm-hmm. as the film develops, we kind of see this dark side to our Garfunkel's character, like the like the mm-hmm. things. Right, and then yeah, there's just the the whole aspect of him being this like psychiatrist uh, who they they have this Cold War kind of backdrop happening, and it's like again, information is just kind of dropped there. Uh, it relies on the audience to kind of just hold that information in their head for a little bit. Don't get too impatient. We'll eventually get there, and then you find out that information, and you'll be like, oh. I, f- I feel satisfied. I'm finding out things when I need to because it doesn't matter because you're like, you're never going to see these people ever again after the movie's over. But man, that's the sort of stuff that nowadays, who man, all the audiences, they're, they, they, they would not be able to wait to find out what's going on. And they would start declaring, I'm lost. Who's that? But, <laughs> it's like, what, just watch Is these. that what you did? Oh, yeah, of course, absolutely. I was writing the notes. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Zero stars. 
that's yeah this film does mm-hmm. feel like the end of an era it's like 1980 yeah and this is like it's kind of, one of the last hurrahs of like 1970s cinema yeah mm-hmm. well because there is the uh was it the its own distributor the rank organization um the rand organization the rank organization okay they, oh, there's a kitty tail uh they're that uh, they branded it a sick film made by sick people for sick people they're not wrong nice. <laughs> and giving it that big uh, hard x x rated action so that's one Oof. way to you, you send a lot of people away but it's also attracts a certain type of person too who wants to watch Interesting. it? Interesting. Some challenge. Trash, like That's us. Right. Totally. Absolutely. Like, this is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, trash. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. I, I, I haven't watched a lot of like the uh, Paul Morrissey um, Warhol We've productions. Watched We've watched enough. We watched Flesh yeah. 4 and uh, Blood Drinking. 4. Um, yeah. But I, I haven't seen the um, trash. But this is like kind of, uh, I mean, it's more of the classy version of a John Waters movie in some ways. So with this movie actually, it has some parallels with Creep's favorite, The Night Porter. Oh, of course. Oh, oh yes. Our, our Vienna setting. Yep. Our mm-hmm. lovers that can't uh, extract themselves from their relationship. This kind of claustrophobia and uh, like complex you know, sexual acts. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think there's a lot of lot of overlap with the two movies. Mm-hmm. And but yeah. the, but this movie's also got the who. <laughs> sure so I, I don't know if you know this, but also did you guys pick up on those the who uh, subtle knocks in uh, the man who fell to earth? Did you guys pick up on those? I'll tell you about them when we get there. Okay. <laughs> if you if you don't know what I'm talking about yet, I'll I'll, I'll hit you with that later. But uh, I I actually so I don't know if I. I, I know I know Jared knows, but uh, so like I used when I was doing my masters, the guy I worked with, he was a huge Who, Who fan, and he saw he's seen the Who like ten, fifteen times. He saw them like in England in the eighties and stuff like that, and uh, he's like talked to Pete Townsend and stuff and like all that shit. So when we watched Bad Timing, I actually watched it with him because he's a huge Who fan, and he he loved that the Who was in there, but it was like the way they use the music's a little bit strange because it'll be like. It'll be the song for like a minute. I'll be like, yow! And then it'll just end. And then it'll just be someone walking from a bus. And you'll just be like, oh, weird. I this, thought the song was it's, gonna it's, it's the jeal- keep going. It's the jealousy theme from Bad Timing. I I know. It's it's strange, though, because it, it's just like, it kicks in for like 30 seconds. It's like, yow! And then I, it just moves on. Yeah, I mean. It's like strange. And I feel like that song has become just like way bigger than, I, I, I don't know. I'm not from 1980. Well, yeah, like just like it just has continued to continue to be used over and over and over again, and I don't know what its life like was what what its life was at in 1980 if it had been overplayed to death. It probably like was that, like that was a I mean I think I feel like that was a fairly popular song. Off, like, the Who was first, pretty big, yeah. So hearing that, I'd be like, oh, it's the Who, and they signed off on this. Uh, the classical music uses the uh, canon canon in D. Yep. Uh, that's used like a lot in ordinary people, which may have come out the same year. Uh, uh, yeah, within a year, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like then, that I think that that piece of music became kind of almost like a punchline, and uh, almost like what's that one dramatic piece of music from like Excalibur that they started using it like in trailers? And, oh, right, like, Fifty Cent. About, uh, 
you know, yeah, certain things just get kind of like uh, reused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because if it works, it works, and you just you go back to it. Uh, so yeah, you have another movie that about a breakup and sort of weird tensions between a man and a woman, like using the Cold War as a backdrop, which of course brings me immediately back to the movie uh, Possession with old Sam Neill, the Zulowski movie, yeah. but that, that's mm-hmm. actually in Berlin as opposed to Vienna. And the, you get the process of the, the uh, uh, an area divided up with this bridge and the kind of the back and forth between that, uh, which again, seems like a, so removed from my experience other than movies now. <laughs> like you watch like that Tom Hanks mm-hmm. Bridge of Spies movie or some shit. And I don't know. It's, it seems so a long time ago, but for other people it would be so in their living memory. So it's always like, it, it's something about that places it immediately though, watching these movies that are set like right on that line of like Western Europe with when the, like the iron curtain was still up and people were trans moving about this way between two locations. Just, you know, they could just walk. They, they There's like a scene where a literally guy crosses the border, gets out of his car and just walks back. And like, no one looked like they were going to stop him from doing that. Mm-hmm. But you never know what's in that car. So, yeah, I mean, there isn't, like, much of a plot to this movie other than you get bits and pieces of the relationship kind of get revealed, the ups and downs of the relationship. Um, Nowadays, I feel like people would be, feel like this was very, uh, like, shocking to people to have a relationship like this where it's like, yeah, they're not, like, Mm -hmm. they see each other, but, you know, she sees whoever she wants, but they're kind of committed to one another. He's kind of along for it, and he starts falling more into her which, of course, leads to a rejected uh, marriage proposal. And she's like, no, 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 I'm already married. I don't want to do anything. This is why I ruined this. And for mm-hmm. 1980, this probably was a bit more, I don't know. It, actually, what I found interesting about this was it, it showed that, like, no, these these types of relationships did exist. <laughs> not It's not just a 2021 thing, which something, some people on Twitter might be like, hey, I'm living this life. Isn't that shocking? You're like, no, ah. people, people have been doing this forever since people have been around. People have been doing this. Um it's the other stuff that people think are normal. That's the uh, stuff that's kind of newer to us. But mm. yeah, so you have this relationship depict. You have the ups and downs of that relationship. And when he starts rejecting her because she's not going to be the the person that he thinks that he wants her to be, then she starts pushing back and she starts having these gestures of trying to kill herself, which escalate. And then... We we get to the the big reveal at the end of the movie, which we'll talk more about when you guys can talk mm. about it too. But there's there's this pressure that there's like this thorough line of the psychological part of the film, I guess, and maybe the tension of the movie is the the police officers asking these questions. He wants to get to the truth of the matter because he knows something's wrong. He knows something's up. His 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 cop senses tell him there's something amiss, and he gets pushing and pushing and pushing. Uh, we get mm-hmm. the the big the big vile reveal, <laughs> which like I can only imagine watching this movie in a theater <laughs> with like Art Garfunkel just full mount atop a unconscious overdosing woman <laughs> and just being yep. like, what? And then you're like, I'm out. And uh, then people say, this is a sick film made by sick people for sick people. Uh, but like when he does that, it's, I think also like the most like tender and vulnerable. He is, uh, he is, we were, we're like privy to him being with her the entire film. Like he kind mm-hmm. of drops his guard uh 
And God, I remember when I first saw that, I didn't, I didn't know it was coming, you know, and it was just like, I can't fucking believe this. Like, <laughs> well, cause there's like this rollout of like how he's like become so like, just like antagonistic. And when she's like, I'm going to try to make a phone call. And then he goes and just unplugs the phone and you go, Oh, yeah, <laughs> You're like I see. Where, where's 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 this all going? And there's this build up, this mounting build up of like what's going to happen. And as he gets her on the bed, and he's like, he's kind of going back and forth about this. And then there's this like weird little montage. It's like, did that literally happen, or is it happening inside of his head of him just like almost like having this like little dance, this movement? As, and you're like, hmm. Are we going to cut away from this, or is it just going to be suggest suggested when uh, Harvey Keitel is talking about extraction? Nope. <laughs> no. No. You don't gonna, cut away. Yeah, you, and you're like, oh yeah, you're going to get that. You're going to get a, like a nice little montage, and uh, yeah, oh, you get some surgery surgeries going on intercut as the, as the story is splicing back and forth. Um, with flashbacks to is it her reliving memories is it uh just the audience getting to see become privy to the information that the movie is going to reveal to us it doesn't care it's like it doesn't matter it's like you don't a lesser movie would be like this is what's happening in her mind as she's like how did i what mistakes did i make to become here where i am now it's not about that it's not about that it's about bad timing apparently um yeah what do you think that title means (laughs) jerry Well, this movie has two titles. Uh, It's it's real titles, bad timing. And apparently, my understanding, if I read this, is in the United States, it was bad timing slash a sensual obsession. Which I think makes even less sense than anything else. Like, that's that's terrible. What what does that mean? Um, But yeah, so this movie left me in quite a state. I I kind of went in this to these two movies this weekend, kind of feeling low. I don't know if it was this sudden drop of like having like the last thirty days in Creepsville here being like thirty two degrees every single day to suddenly dropping to like eighteen degrees overnight, Mm -hmm. and that should be actually like a relief, and I should be thrilled because I love days like that. Is that hot? Yeah. Mm Hmm. I don't know. Oh, uh, well. RJ, look, look, look this up. What's 32 Celsius to Fahrenheit for our uh, dear listeners? Uh, uh, 90? I'll, I'll n- n- that's like right that's, that's 90 degrees 95. Fahrenheit. Yeah. yeah. See, it sounds hotter my way, the miracle way. Oh, yeah. See, yeah, it we're, does. We're, just, we're not usually that hot is the thing. That's no. the hottest we've been for a long, very long time. And it's so. and it's like every day. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I just got used to it. It didn't even feel that bad. You'd be like, oh, it's only 95 degrees Fahrenheit outside. This, this is good. And then it's a sudden yeah. just drop of like to half of that. We were like, oh, it's a little chilly. And I, that should cheer me up. But no, I just felt like shit. And I was like, okay, I want to watch Bad Time. And I went, oh, this movie's all about negative vibes, huh? <laughs> like, uh, so... This movie, like, I was feeling this movie and Man Who Fell to Earth a lot in a way where I'm like, well, I, I think this is actually a pretty good movie. I think mm-hmm. it's an interesting movie. I, I absolutely love how he makes movies because, uh, like you said, Aaron, he is, like, and he's a filmmaker and he's engaged in, like, cinema and using cinematic techniques not to just to deliver a ABCD story. Um, it's very obvious, like, maybe the story is... It's not, a, but it's not a simple story because you lay it out and you're like, oh yeah, this happens. 
a lot of movies would just strip out the nuance of it and it would become like a, a hallmark movie lifetime movie but which, which even dark for that i suppose but mm-hmm. because he because of the way the way it's made the era it came from uh you wind up with something that is memorable and it, it's it is complicated and it makes it so there is no clear read of like characters intentions and you see a moment in his weakness you see you know the the garfunkel character what's his what's his character's name alex, alex. dr dr linden mm-hmm. alex you get to see him perhaps at his worst at his unleashed um and there's like this backstory about he's doing a study for the American military on this type of relation. He's creating a dossier that he's supposed to kind of create. And she finds out about that. And it's like almost like, who cares about this? <laughs> like, it, it's sort of just there almost is, uh, I feel like kind of like background stuff, almost just like detail stuff, because it's almost, it's mostly just about the watching the movie itself, I felt was good enough for me but i don't know i'm kind of rambling on uh, what did you two think about this movie usually rj prefers our guest to speak first so aaron take it away mm-hmm. sure i'll just come out and say it uh clearly i think this movie is great mm-hmm. uh, without any caveats or apologies yep. i think it's, uh, my, it might be my favorite movie is at least of the ones i've seen okay. uh, mm-hmm. i don't know if it's a masterpiece but it's pretty close yeah, totally. What else do you think? <laughs> what else you got over there? <laughs> Was that funny? Um, you know, it's, a, it's a great movie. You know, I think uh, I think I've already said other things about it previously. Um, uh-huh. RJ, what do you think? <laughs> sure, sure. Ar- I, I, thought, Arge. I thought you'd. Yeah, Arch, Arch can go to uh, uh, RJ, I will say that back in 2015, when you logged this movie online, you gave it four stars, which I think would come as a shock to many of our uh, listeners here in 2021, who might think, I don't know if this is RJ's jam. Yes. Uh, so I, I have since deleted the star rating because I don't like doing that anymore because, as you guys know, people gang up on me because they say, why'd you give this this many star ratings? And I say, it is what it is, man. It doesn't mean anything. So I, I, just, I took that away. But uh, yeah, so I, I think people would think that I would uh, not like this because of the questionable behavior, questionable behavior in the uh, closing act. But uh, I, I think bad timing's great. I, I really do. Um, and I think like that, so like the big kind of thing at the end where you see the ravishment as uh, Harvey would call it. Uh, I think it's, um, it's a very, str- it's like a striking and like weirdly, like it's an uncomfortable scene, but it's also a sad scene. You're just like, you're right. like, I don't like it. And like it intentionally, you're just like, I don't like anything that's happening here, but you're like, but that's what the story is. It's like, it's leading up to this kind of horrible thing. Um, and I think it would make a difference. Like, so when we watched last time, uh, Aaron was on we were talking about Fackrell like that's a whole other ball game where I was just like I don't even know what to think about this shit but this one like I think this is like a 
as I have um, very infamously not like, like I don't like Sid and Nancy. I think that movie sucks. Uh, this movie, I think, really nails the uh, toxic relationship, I think, a lot better. Whereas, uh, like, the final kind of thing that happens with art is very, like, it's it's way rougher than anything that happens in Sid and Nancy, like, by a long shot. But um, the way that they present their kind of story together it's honestly, it's like, it's kind of strange. It's like, it's almost a natural thing that kind of leads to it. And I think it's a little different for me this time uh, because it like, uh, as opposed to Jared, this was like a rewatch for me. So I knew that going into it. So like when I, um, when I was watching this this weekend, uh, I always tell my wife what, what the criterion is to see if she's interested. And she's like, what are you watching this weekend? And I was like, Art Garfunkel rapes a, rapes a lady. And uh, she's like, I'm good. And I was like, okay. I'm like, I wasn't trying to like spoil it for her, but I like, I know her pretty well. It's like, I'm going to be upfront with her just so she knows. And it's like, yeah, our Garfunkel's going to rape some lady. And he, she's like, all right, well, she's like, I'd like to see it, but uh, you go watch your movie. And I was like, okay, sounds good. Uh, but I, I do think like, I really think that they, they build this relationship really well throughout the movie um and it's like you guys kind of both pointed out it's the editing that nick rogue throws in here where it's like the back and forth stuff is so well done where it's just like the really harsh cut to like her getting like tracheotomies and shit like that and you're just like oof that's rough and it's like showing like the uh the the kind of balance between these things um so yeah i think their relationship's really good really well done Art Garfunkel's really good in this, and it's like I said, he is stunning in that one scene. His eyes just have a glisten. It is stunning. Uh, Harvey Keitel's awesome. Like his uh, detective work, I actually like. I think it's 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 really well done. It's good detective work where uh, you know the radio station stuff. You're just like, oh, nice. Like you got it, buddy. Some, some, some real Columbo action. <laughs> He's doing some Columbo and some murder she wrote type stuff in mm-hmm. here. Um, so like I think. I like all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, no, I I think it's a good story. I think it's uh, the characters are good, and the editing is just really well done. The ending is hard to watch, but it's intentional, right? And I think the one thing that, like, uh, I think the reason I actually do like this more than, like, some of the other stuff and, uh, like, violence and abuse is way more prevalent than people think it is and it's just like even in like even like like fackerel stuff like that happens too like maybe not as extreme in the ending where it's like serial murders don't just pop out of nowhere and get you don't usually (laughs) yeah i mean when they do they usually do but uh like this thing um it's one of those things it's like it's hard to watch but it's like but this is what the real world is like too so it's like people should see this Well, I mean, it's like, this is what people do to each other. And it's like, it's like, do you not like that? Do you, are you uncomfortable? Yeah, you should be. And it's like, so try to be better. You know, don't, it's not that hard to, you, like, do you know what I mean? Huh. You, you, so you, you're reading, this is like, you've, this is moralistic review? Uh, uh, in a sense where it's just kind of. Hmm. Well, I don't know how. Well, how is it presented? Like, I know it's presented as this like horrible thing, but it's like, yeah, people do that to each other. They do, and it's just like, and it's, and I'm not saying that's, like, my point is, it's a bad thing, and it's like, yeah, you should feel uncomfortable about it. And you sh- they aren't even yeah. people. It's almost like this isn't about a relationship so much as it's like about like opposing 
forces. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's a... like, it, like, just like chaos and order. And like, you look at like Harvey Keitel's detective, he doesn't seem that interested in the crime. No. His query seems to be yeah. more existential query. He wants yeah. to know what happened because he's he's curious about this war between opposing forces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he's he's very invested in what's going on between the two of them. Mm-hmm. That's all he cares no, about. There's no so. moral framework like at all for the context of the film. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and I, I don't mean that. Like, I'm not trying to say that the film is like, oh, no, it's trying to say this thing. I'm just saying it's like for for me personally when 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 you get to that big kind of moment, I'm just like, yeah. If you feel bad, you should. Because it's like, yes, this is something you should feel bad about. And it is something that happens to real people. That's all I mean by that. Well, it's a very interactive film in which anyone can insert themselves into. And, sure. you yeah. know, things from their yeah. own life, both good and bad, you know. Yep. Yeah. And just relationships in general, right? Like, before it gets to the, the big thing, it's like they do have a lot of kind of back and forth where it's like no matter what kind of relationships you've been in in your life, like romantic in some sense, it's like, yeah, you've probably had like moments where you and a person you've been like connected to don't get along and you have these like weird kind of backs and forths. So I don't know. I, I, I like bad timing. I think it's a good show. I, I like the editing is what I'm trying to say. That's a long way of me to try to say that. So, it's my two cents. Okay. Okay. So I don't know what you guys think. Wow. We we like we like it. We like it. <laughs> sure. Sure. Did you also find Garfunkel's eyes dazzling in that one scene, Jarrett? No, not particularly. I mean, uh, you have to give me a screenshot of this this scene at, yeah, late, at a later point. I'll, I'll, see if i can get i'll send it through the on. skype here while okay. you c- continue to talk but yeah yeah so so, so what can sometimes happen with a narrative like this though too is the and this kind of shows up in the the who hates these movies thing where there's something people think that it's misogynistic <laughs> which like of course so someone's always going to just call that out uh no matter what but because it's like, oh, it's not this great depiction of this woman. And I'm like, yes, I mean, I don't know. It's not that bad. So I just sent you guys the picture. You have to click on it to see it zoomed up and then look at his eyes. Look at the dazzle. Well, see it? That, yeah, that's the that's the lighting on set. I know it's the lighting, but it, it oh. makes him look dazzling. Uh, this needs to be brought up. I don't know if you guys saw this at all. Uh, Art Garfunkel's girlfriend committed suicide. Yeah. Before or after? During. 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 Yeah, I I did. I did read that. And then you have, you know, like Nicholas Roeg beginning a courtship with Teresa Russell during this. So there is, there's just some psychic energy like in this movie that is just undeniable. Yeah. Uh, that seems 
like bad timing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the uh, what was the the production? The film was one of the, a series of movies greenlit by Tony Williams at the Rank organization, who were increasing their production output. Rank made eight films over two years, being mostly conservative choices, such as the 1978 film The Thirty Nine Steps, the third adaptation of the 1915 novel. Bad timing was the most unusual of the slate of films. While Art Garfunkel was making the film, his girlfriend Lori Bird committed suicide in New York. Not good. Not nice. Well, again. I think the film ends in New York. The classic Mm -hmm. Nicholas Rogue ending of like, what? (laughs) Abruptness. Hey, is that the dwarf in a red coat? Uh Uh-huh. I I like to, uh, like, Art Garfunkel's, like, looking out of the back of the car like a little kid, just like, was that her? Just like a like a lost puppy, just like, huh? Yeah, yeah, crazy. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's shit's messed up, you know. Life. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. That's what not I was good. trying to say, Jared. Things yeah. aren't good. Yeah, people, because you think the whole time that this old Garfunkel guy, he's a pretty cool cucumber, and uh, you know, he's just he's trying to make sense of this, and he's a little elusive because he's he's uptight. And then, and then, then we learn he's the Egon Shield. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. He's he, he sadly, <laughs> weepingly, desperately rapes his overdosing girlfriend. What a what a guy. Allegedly. 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 All right. I I do uh, Harvey Keitel's uh, cop tricks of trying to get him to confess. You can tell me. Just get it off your chest. Just get it. No one, no one cares about this. He's like, it's just you and me. It's mm-hmm. just you and me. And we have Marcus from the Indiana Jones films. I was going, yes, Denim, oh, Denim yeah. Elliot, yeah, Cuck Supreme, yeah. Uh, ex-husband. He's, I, he's very good at it. Yeah, well, because I, I, like when, I, when, he, when he first shows up, I'm like, okay, who the fuck is that? I, I couldn't place him. I was like, I've I've seen this guy in so Indiana many. Jones, baby. I know, but like I couldn't place him immediately. I'm like, I've seen this guy in so many things, and I know he's not. Well, in this movie, he's just so like brittle. He like yeah. seems like he's on the verge of tears. Uh, he really does an understated performance. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the oh, yeah. Uh, that's really good. I, I do like the the character though too, where Gar- Art Garfunkel, of course, can't find her because she's like kind of run off and she's ducking him, and he's like, "Well, I'm just trying to find her. Where could she be?" And he calls, he calls the cuck up, and hey, you know, do you have any idea where she might be? He's like, "Well, you know, I honestly don't know where she is." But, uh, you know, I just fuck off. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk to you. I can't wait till she, like, loses interest in you entirely and we can move on beyond this. Because, I mean, which is like, that's good. That <laughs> They don't, like, wind up with, like, some sort of bond between the two of them. They just avoid that completely. Because, yeah, that why would they have anything in common other than Yeah, her? he's definitely not, like, Sam Neill in uh, Until the End of the World, who's just, like, if you guys have seen that, he's just, like, all too happy to be this cucked ex-husband. He's like, yeah, I'll tag along at a distance on your adventure and be supportive of everything. I also like when he's talking to him on the phone and he kind of just puts the phone down for a while to eat some cheese and he picks it back up. He's like, are you, were you listening? He's like, yeah, I got all of that. I got it. I got it. It was one of those old-timey phones, though, where you yeah, could I'm actually interested. hear him. I mean, probably. I just like the motion of him putting the phone down to yeah. eat some cheese, and yeah. then it's like, I get this. 
Yeah. 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 There's, there's no urgency in this for him. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this movie from four years prior. Are you the the first? The first one. Visitor? I've always been visited. Nothing you have seen or heard about David Bowie will prepare you for the impact of his first dramatic performance in The Man Who Fell to Earth. This is another dimension of David Bowie, one of the few true originals of our time. You're really a freak. I don't mean that unkindly. I like freaks. Is this a weapon? A weapon? It's too small for interplanetary travel. Assume that it's a weapon. If I stay here, I shall die. What do you mean? Take me with you. I'll see you don't die. I can't stay. You're an alien! I think you know... You know too much about me. Where are you taking me? He's just like everybody else. He's, he's, he's a fake. Please don't do it. You don't understand. You might be able to save him. Mary Lou. Save him? Help me. From what? No! No! Tell me I love you. fell to earth is a powerful love story a cosmic mystery a spectacular fantasy a shocking mind-stretching experience in sight in space and sex the man who fell to earth from 1976 the tagline power space time and a visitor synopsis thomas jerome newton is an alien who has come to earth in search of water to save his home planet aided by lawyer oliver farnsworth thomas uses his knowledge of advanced technology to create profitable inventions while developing a method to transport water Thomas meets Mary Lou, a quiet hotel clerk. No, that's not accurate at all. And begins to fall in love with her. Just as he is ready to leave Earth, Thomas is intercepted by the U.S. government and his entire plan is threatened. I mean, that's that's a bit of a long synopsis. That could have been shortened up a little bit. It's not totally accurate either, which is another thing, but... I guess that's the thing with the, uh, that's the thing with Nick Rogue movies, though. Is uh, it, sometimes it feels like the the plot is secondary, and it's you just let the yeah. movie just happen. You just watch it, man. So, uh, Man of mm-hmm. Earth is a movie I had seen before. I learned huh? about this movie honestly before I even really knew who David Bowie was. Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, so I watched this. What in, do you mean? 
I mean, he was just this, I don't know. I didn't really know who David Bowie was. It was like early high school, and I was reading Danny Perry's cult movies, and The Man Who Fell to Earth was written up in there. And, of course, this thing mm-hmm. would talk about David Bowie. And for me, like, I just wasn't much of a music person at all as a kid. And mm-hmm. I was like, what's this movie about this alien business? And it was a long time until I actually bothered watching it. And, like, maybe, like, you know, four or five years. I watched Walkabout. And the first time I watched mm-hmm. Walkabout, like, we talked about way back when, that movie, like, enraptured me. I thought, holy shit, there's, like, this is, like, the weirdest way of making a movie I've ever seen this like the majestic mm-hmm. Australian landscape uh, and I was like I want to watch more movies by this Nick Rogue guy and by that point I kind of knew of David Bowie because you know I mean outside of the outside of Labyrinth <laughs> like I was like oh he's the Goblin yeah. King right 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 I know I know this this chap um, and then sure. a couple of David Bowie songs here and there but again kind of on the periphery of my experience and then yeah I, I bought The Man Who Fell to Earth on DVD I can't remember it wasn't the criterion of it at the time I think it was Anchor Bay put it out in like this like cardboard eco package thing and I watched it blind and it is when you think david bowie science fiction alien movie i guess this is exactly what should come to mind but it wasn't what i wanted at the time and i do think that that is a a thing with the people who are watching this movie now and just hate it and hate it a lot but i watched this Mm -hmm. i'm i had no idea who rip torn was in fact i'm like that's a name but I just like you're, the best name as far as I'm concerned. Right. Yeah, it's because I, mean, I used just, to confuse him with the comedian with, with the confetti. Oh, Rip Rip Taylor. Rip Taylor. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. That t- yeah. Rip hundred percent. Rip T. I mean, which one's which? <laughs> so, I mean, so I didn't really know anybody in this movie at all. I mean, other than like, oh, it's that David Bowie guy, which. It turned out that my introduction to the man who fell to Earth came from comics because, about a few years earlier, Mike Allred did this comic called Red Rocket Seven. Oh God! Which is like <laughs> so much like because Mike Allred loves him some David Bowie and clearly, clearly yes. uh, liked this movie a great deal. Uh, and he made his own movies, uh, like I was it Astro esque, and which was like this part of this multi part project with like he has a band called The Gear, which was him doing like his like, uh, we're, we're, we're aliens from the from, the, from another fucking, planet. That guy, that guy can draw, but oh, like yeah. he's like such a fucking like square Mormon. Oh yeah, I I I, I own it all because he and draws he so likes good. Bowie, that's surprising. Hugh, oh, well, that's yeah. the thing. But yeah, he writes. I remember just being like such a conservative take on like rock stardom, or like I remember there being this kind of like anti LSD message in it, and it was just yeah. like it was just so latently conservative. Uh, like he's such a fucking like mod little cosplayer. That's <laughs> so that's so strange because like Madman is clearly like Madman is clearly David Bowie. But uh, it's like it's strange that this dude who that you're describing is very conservative. But it's like Bowie was like the champion of like like fluid sexuality. So strange, very strange. Michael Allred. Well, it means he's like, yeah. I think I have a poster of his. Go ahead. So yeah, no, uh, yeah, David, yeah, no, uh, Mike Allred was my introduction, probably really to 
David Bowie without me really knowing it. And, 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 and this was, I mean, this was, this was, uh, as I was coming up and no one was telling me, Hey, you should listen to David Bowie, which a lot of people, RJ, I don't know if you know this. I know you're a, a Bowie's man now, but there was a period of time where, uh, he was kind of, uh, not, he was old hat. He would show up on like a David Lynch soundtrack, like Lost Highway and stuff like that, and was regarded by people in the know. But I feel like he had like kind of a, a dip, and then he, but then he he went out high. So, well, David Bowie, and I'm a fan, by the way. Yeah, me too. He, like, and this is actually kind of like a testament to him. But he's he's like a meme now. You know, after he died, he he became a meme, and it would, like that's sure. actually kind of like a next level of celebrity where people know who this person is and they don't know why. Right, like like mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe. Everyone knows who Marilyn Monroe is. Doesn't mean they've seen her movies, yeah, or really know anything about her. They just mm-hmm. had this. It's just they. You are super famous, and super iconic. You kind of like have this. If you become immortal like that, it's mm-hmm. very much removed from the reality of the work you did. Yeah, and Bowie, I think for most people is like that. I remember when I was the last time I actually had a job. Uh, some chick was talking about, she was like, she was new, she was new coworker. She was talking about how much she loved David Bowie. And I uh, was like, Oh, this is somebody I could talk to, you know? And I tried to have a conversation with her and it like became like abundantly clear. She actually didn't really know who David Bowie was. I was like, mm-hmm. what's your favorite album? And she like did it. She was like a deer in the headlights. I was like, like, Oh, I'm supposed to actually know something about this person to say, I really like them. Oh yeah. Mm. So yeah, I, I've I've gotten that. Oh, what? I think I'm out, I think I'm out of sync with you guys a little bit. But uh, go ahead. I I was gonna say I've gotten that too. Where uh, I've seen people wearing like, like Bowie shirts, and I'm a big Bowie guy. And like um, so the reason I like him is because my older brother listened to David Bowie. So I listened to David Bowie as like a little kid, and that's why I like him so much. But uh, I've seen people wearing like Bowie shirts, and I'd be like, hey, David Bowie. I was like. Uh, like, what's your favorite album? Kind of the same as you. And not to be like, like one of those per- people that like challenges someone. It's like, oh, yeah, you got a shirt. What's your album? I was just like genuinely curious. It's like, sure. oh, yeah, I love Bowie. And then you ask them and they're like, uh, I don't know. I like the whatever album has this song on it. And it's like, that's fine, too. It's like you don't have you don't have to know the albums. But uh, I'm always uh, I'm always I feel like I'm always a little bit um, let down when I see someone wearing Bowie stuff or they say they're a Bowie fan. It's like, I love Bowie. These are my, this is what I really love about him. And then other people are like, Oh, I don't know what any of that means. And you go, Oh, okay. They, they, they really... it's not the information's hard to come by. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. cause now people are, Oh, I really loved his work in venture brothers. I mean, I did love his work in Venture Brothers. Yeah. It was terrific. That and uh, I mean, Bowie Bowie has all sorts of terrific work, terrific mm-hmm. work in TV, television series. Well, and, and what but, about the man who fell to Earth? What about it? Uh, yeah. So, what about it? So well, let me let me get this out of the way. Sure. <clears throat> so I saw this movie the first time in high school. Uh, so, like, you know, over 20 years ago. Then I saw it again. I don't know when exactly. Uh, but it's still some years ago. So I've, se- I've seen the movie. and But in preparation for guesting on your show, I uh, I think it's out of print from Criterion. Mm-hmm. I think it might be. Yeah. It is? Yeah. 
and it's not on the channel either. So I was glad that I actually owned this one so, because I was like, I don't want to have to like do something right, to get this. It's not on the movie. channel. So yeah. I got I got it from the library. I think it's that Anchor Bay edition. Yep. And it was mm -hmm. scratched the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. So I was actually like unable to watch like a solid half hour right in the middle of the movie. Oh. So, <laughs> but I have seen the movie before. Um, but just let's get this out of the way. If I'm not remembering something, maybe it's from that, like literally right in the middle, like a half hour, just gone. Couldn't see it. Yeah, you know, I feel like this is the kind of movie though, that you might be able to get away with that. I mean, like, because um, the, the, so yep. I, I think like the big, there's like that moment that comes where, when, when he's basically kidnapped by the government and mm -hmm. when he's just put into storage and then they kind of begin the process of like experimenting on him using his own like wealth to keep him there it seems to be the implication because there's like this movie is all about like inference from the audience because this movie doesn't even care like whether or not you're mm -hmm. like there is no there's there, yeah there's no stakes you're not kind of like oh i really hope he gets away to like help his family because <laughs> eventually there's a shot where you're like oh they're dead <laughs> like or sleeping uh, i'm gonna what's that that'd be the charitable interpretation it's like ah oh, they're asleep they're just sleeping on the desert planet waiting for him to come back uh somehow even though the the, the technology and of how he arrived there's like a there's a track that's suggested that he's like mm -hmm. being slingshotted through time i guess to probably get somewhere closer and sooner and that's why there's these time loops and time distortions where you get to see uh, some like old shots of like appalachian people <laughs> like out on the field um being all startled when they see a locomotive but so this movie well, it's it's that and uh it's that and then also there's that line he has where they talk about like when they're like what do you what happens when you drink he's like i see things and like he talks about seeing other visitors because he's like there's other he's like there's other aliens on earth too you just haven't noticed them so i i think that's part of it as well like when he sees those visions of things it's also like he's he's seen the other aliens but other people don't see them because some of them are separated by time and that's like one of the big concepts of this too is that the time to someone like him uh is uh it doesn't mean the same thing to time like us because he's he is like semi immortal, so it's like time doesn't mean as much to him. And is he a yeah. human from the future and not an alien at all? It's possible. It's possible. I think in the book itself, like I think he they say it's like he's from another planet, but like and in the movie he does too. But uh, like it's it's vague enough that you could you could fill that in yourself if you wanted to. I think that's kind of the beauty of it. It's like if you want to kind of say that, just nothing nothing against it nothing that says that's wrong because there's a see like so because at the beginning of the movie we have like the superman-esque montage of a ship mm -hmm. traveling because this movie came out actually because when did superman come out the richard donner one is it 76 as well 70 something around the same Let me check it out which is, so it's curious that like you have these movies about a uh, I mean obviously Superman as a concept been around for oh seventy eight so it predates it um, so yep. that there you go uh, so this is doing mm -hmm. this kind of a Superman rift here in seventy six uh, before the movie uh, repopularized the Superman mythos and every time you do a Superman comic it has to open up with uh, the goddamn space pod being launched to Earth mm -hmm. every single time. 
So uh, we got space pod travels, um, a suggestion that it lands in into a lake, and then a a man fully clothed is kind of tr- kind of you know making his way across like a rock quarry, and that's Rip Torn observing him, right? I don't know. No, 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 no. So uh, that is a different person. And the reason I know this is because it's really hard to catch, but he is, he comes back at the very end. He's the guy who basically lets him out of the uh, government. Like, uh, like when, when he's captured and like set in that room and man comes in and then that's the next scene is when David Bowie is out and Rip Torn as a really old man comes yeah. to visit him. But it, that's the guy who basically releases him. And so what it is, is uh David Bowie's like, no one saw me land. No one knows I'm here. Right. That person did. And he's kind of like a mystery. Like you never find out who that person is, but that person observes him. And then at the near the end, that person is there. And then I, I like from what I took it from what I took from it was that, that that person releases him and then he goes off and then he sees Rip Torn again later. But it's right. not the same guy. Because yeah, so yeah, not the same guy. Five. Like the guy from Halloween Five that's watching everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just kind of, just kind of there, the observer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the you you ought to, um, you ought to. Yes. So yeah. So like, it was one of those things when I was watching because I didn't rewind it because I'm like, oh, Rip Torn's hair's all long, and then the rest of the movie his hair is short, mm-hmm. and you're like, is that supposed to be Rip Torn? And I never like stopped to actually further investigate mm-hmm. that. It's because I felt like this is just one of those mysteries in this movie, isn't it? Like <laughs> where you're just like, and probably whatever I'm going to read probably won't be the most satisfying answer. No. Yeah. yeah. So again, the only reason I actually know that is because I watched the supplements, and yep. it was the uh, the screenwriter. He was describing that. So that's that's not like a, a like some crazy insight that I have. I, I saw the screenwriter describe that exact scene. That's the only reason I know anything about that. But they also do talk about how this movie has lots of clues, but that some of them have no, like, no end or anything like that. Like, so it's kind of like, like, we gave it to you, but. Like a J.J. Abrams comic or movie. <laughs> it's like, well. Exactly. Yeah. Just like a bad robot production. It's It's all there, but it's not actually. And it, does, yeah, and it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't matter. That, uh, so, no, it doesn't matter. Like I didn't know that until two hours ago when I watched this thing, but uh, I know now. So there. I don't know. I was just saying that uh, I didn't know that any of that shit either. I just this is the one time that I watched the supplements, and that's I, that's what I took from it. So Did you listen all. to the commentary track with David Bowie? It was it was not available on the Criterion. That I have, oh, because I would have watched it if possible. Maybe I should double check, but I I looked at the um, maybe it was on the main disc. So I have the DVD kind of like clamshell of this, and I put in the main one with the movie, and then I put in the second one and watched the supplements on that. I didn't even think to look at the main DVD. Maybe it was on there. Fuck, I I probably just missed it all. I would have watched it. My bad. Son of a dog. So it was made. It was maybe on there. I don't know. Uh, does anyone know anything about the author of the original novel, Walter Tevish? I do. Southern guy. From um, Kentucky, but not yeah. original. 
Yeah. So also from the supplements, Jared. A, so this that's some that's some novels he's got under his uh, belt: the Hustler and the Color of Money and the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. So uh, the doesn't uh, the Criterion go ahead? Doesn't the Criterion edition come with the novel? Uh, mine didn't. I don't know. I can show you guys. I don't know if, what copy of mine I have. I have a Criterion copy, but uh, I think there was an edition like in a slipcase with like the novel in it. Yeah, that sounds oddly like they did with shortcuts. Yeah, I'll, I'll check mine out in a second here if we if we take another break. Uh, but um, I don't know if the novel's in mine. That but there is a why it's out of print because it was just like yeah fucking expensive to keep it in print. I don't know. I yeah, suspect well, it's yeah. a rights thing because whatever the company owns it, British Lion Films. Maybe they're just like super stingy about how it's distributed, and like it's like well, it's only for a limited time, and then they just pull the cord whenever they. Uh, want it back yeah. and it just bounces around yeah could be that so i i actually did there on the the supplements that i did watch um there's an audio uh interview with the author of the book so he did this and he did the hustler queen's gambit and the screenwriter or the screenplay writer was saying that like the only other novel he thinks is actually really good is queen's gambit uh but uh so this guy is from kentucky and uh, apparently Hustler and The Man Who Fell to Earth are about his own alcoholism. So they're both about it where it's like, so with The Hustler, hmm. apparently this guy, when he was writing writing books, he also tried to be a hustler, but he was like, I wasn't very good. He's like, I never won any money. He's like, I just tried, but I was I was an alcoholic. Uh, so in, uh, And this was actually, it kind of cut to the screenplay writer, and this was the screenplay writer's interpretation of these two sources, where he said, the hustler is about an old alcoholic with a young person who's, like, naive to it. And then in Man Who Fell to Earth, it was about the a guy who was sober, which is David Bowie, and then a younger person, the the hotel attendee, the lady, Mary Lou, who was not an alcoholic, but pushed alcohol. And then uh, apparently the big theme of the man, to fell who, the man who fell to earth is liquid. So it's like people are always drinking water or alcohol. And it's like a, this kind of weird thing in between. The writer of the book himself didn't hit that as much, but he was just like, yeah, he's like, I like, I like liquor. He's like, so I wrote about it kind of thing. It definitely comes across in the film. Like, you don't yeah. usually see alcoholism portrayed in that, I I think, authentic way, which I think the movie does get at it, like this kind yep. of repetitive, claustrophobic grind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think I think there is, it's there quite a bit. Like the So it's like I said, the author of the book was, he was less like, He's like, it wasn't totally what I was trying to do, but it is an element of it. But the screenplay writer was just like, oh, yeah. He's like, this movie is about alcoholism. And he's like, okay, interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah there, there's um, from what I'm reading here, uh, a writer, James Solace, declared The Man Who Fell to Earth was among the finest science fiction novels, saying, just beneath the surface, it might read as a parable of the 50s into the Cold War. Beneath that is an evocation of existential loneliness, a Christian fable, a parable of the artist. Ooh. Above all, perhaps, as the wisest, truest representation of alcoholism ever written. Oh, shit. <laughs> Which is really good that when they make a uh, failed TV pilot that turns into a made-for-television film, they completely remove that 
utterly. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, he, he gets drunk off of tomato juice. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the, the remake that uh, we watched, Aaron Wang. That thing was interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah, but I don't recommend it. No, <laughs> I'm morbidly curious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. David Bowie shows up, Mister, mm-hmm. as an alien. Uh, he's wandering sure. around the, the southern United, or United States. I'm not sure if it's the South quite yet. It feels it has that Arizona vibe to me. Uh, yeah, he's close to New Mexico, Arizona. Yeah, and he's got some rings which he's able to continuously sell off for like a little bit of startup money and mm-hmm. things, things start coming together for him. He, he knows a guy, he finds a guy played by Buck Henry, his lawyer who he's, he needs a man who knows about patents. He's the best in the world. You don't, it doesn't matter how David Bowie gains this access. I assume he goes to the library much like Aaron mm-hmm. did this week. Um, and you know, just like access this information as you need it. And he, or, or there, he has like observation abilities. Cause he's got those like, uh, like lenticular screens that you can just see mm-hmm. everything and anything you need on your desert planet. And so you can learn things. You can figure out this is the technology that they'll need. This is how we're going to benefit things. We're going to be like Elon Musk and we're going to build rocket ships mm. and, go and get rich. Uh, and then question mark, question mark, profit. So uh, he goes, finds his patent lawyer. He approaches him, uh, makes him an offer he can't refuse and says, this is what's going to be. You're going to take a cut. And it just like jumps ahead and you're like, yeah, he did that. So the movie, uh, like a lot of these, I think of like Alex Cox's movie Walker, which is a period piece, but it's just like, who mm. gives a shit about like, uh, accuracy of like the period being depicted where it's like, you have like men in the 1890s wearing like, you know, digital watches and stuff like that. He's just like, I don't care. And so this movie doesn't feel like it's part of any particular period of time. It's not like, Oh, it's definitely the 1950s. It's always like, it just always feels like it's 1976 and we're on this treadmill of time. Everybody's aging, but the world remains the same as does, uh, David Bowie. Yeah, or sorry, Thomas Jerome Newton. Uh, what's the Jerome in reference to? Uh, I don't know that, but I do know that the Tommy is Ed- another Edison. who well, reference. Well, 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 I think Thomas Edison and then Isaac Newton. So I'm imagining Jerome is another scientist. It's that. But uh, so what Nick Rogue did as well was he threw in some Tommy, um, like the who, like the Who's album Tommy. Uh, it was a bunch of stuff in there. And I don't know if you guys heard, but there's a few instances in this movie where there's Tommy, can you hear me? It's from the who Nick. Uh, and like, I, I noticed that and I was just like, that's probably not actually a reference to the who. And then I was watching the supplements. They're like, oh yeah, that's a who thing. And I was like, oh shit, it is. And the screenwriter was just like, yeah, we threw that in there. We didn't think anyone would actually notice. And we thought if they did, that's cool. And if not, no big deal. Hmm. It's like cat economics. They go where they need to, right? That's right. Yeah. Anyways. But yeah, it's I, I think it's like half scientists and half the who for some reason. I, I did feel a little bit of tension when watching this where um, the uh, uh, New, Newton's, the Newton character goes to the American South. And it's like, of yes. course, there's like those sheriffs that want to check the license plates. They're from New York. <laughs> and you're like, uh oh, is this going to turn into a southern <laughs> hospitality movie? And I just didn't, bit. and I didn't remember that at all. But no, it's all fine. This guy's rich. <laughs> he's like, mm-hmm. he's got, he's got no records. He's got, he gets this new license plates. He now he's got a whole new name, Sussex. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. He's also the right uh he's the right skin tone, so he he wasn't going to get in trouble. He's like well, he's like he goes beyond that. He's he's like alabaster. A little, a little alabaster clan, but he he's got he's got the uh the paper, so he's good. That's right. Uh then we get introduced to his his love interest, uh Mary Lou played by Candy Clark. Yep. Uh, and yep. like she is just immediately endearing, I think. And you kind of already yeah, know you already good. know the direction this is all going to go. Uh, she takes him up an elevator, which is a, a big no-no for this guy. Because and it's not exactly mm-hmm. clear why that would be. Uh, like later on, when Rip Torn's uh, using secret cameras to observe like what we're dealing with, and it's like, oh, he's like not even a body. He's mm-hmm. like this like energy signature. Which again is interesting, and there's like no, it doesn't. There's no payoff to this. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's just kind of like, yeah, that's just like a weird thing, and it's just this really curious graphic that doesn't look at all what an X-ray would look like. But it's like that's a really, yeah. that's a really cool image. <laughs> I think the only like payoff, I guess, would be that it's uh, later when they have the confrontation where uh, Bowie is just like. He's like, I know you're suspicious of me. You know I'm an alien. And, he, and Riptorn's like, do I? And he's like, yeah, I know you do. You took x-rays of me. So, And then the x-ray thing later, later on uh, with his eyes, I guess that's the only kind of setup of those two things. Right. Well, I, he, I guess like you're he's like, what is he? What's going on? When are they going to figure out what yeah. kind of alien? It's like, who cares? Who cares? It's, yeah. The, the movie barely is interested in that. And mm-hmm. there's this like suggestion of like, there's, there's an idea he's got. He's going to come to earth and they're going to retrieve water, which is mm-hmm. that's, I mean, I'm told that in the synopsis. I don't know if that's directly. But how are you supposed to take water then to affect <laughs> planet like water's heavy yeah on a practical level yeah load your rocket ship up with enough water like there's i mean i don't i know it's like a stupid maybe it's a stupid thing to like ask but there's just like a lot of stuff like that in this movie like 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 when doing like medical experiments on him like he's still in his like human makeup like they what the wig hasn't come off yeah like so though I, I know exactly what you mean with that stuff. Um, I think the water thing, like, it's kind of weird. Like, you, you can tell there's uh, the water is important because, like, there's that whole scene where he first gets water. There's, like, a, a whole, like, thing about him drinking it and, like, he talks about drinking water. But then, like, I never knew the plan was to s- send water back. I, I always thought his plan was to bring those people to Earth. So I was confused by that too when you read the synopsis about sending water. I was like, "That's what they were." He was trying to do. I was like, "I didn't get that at all." Well, because yeah, in the plot here, his wealth is needed to construct a space vehicle with the intention of shipping water back to his home planet. Maybe, 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 maybe they just need a little bit of water to get themselves going. Maybe that's maybe there's it's like a uh, jump start, Kickstarter. Yeah, you can yeah. you can fund the planet's Patreon with with a mean... glass of water. <laughs> With these types of movies, there's always like, you know, something that doesn't necessarily make sense. You just go like, let's go along with that. Like, forget about that. And, you know, it's not, it's not that important. But this movie has a lot of stuff like that. Oh, right. yes. Yeah. Like, We're, it's yeah. just like, like the entire movie is stuff like this. And so it it's kind of mess. It is. Uh, well, you have like, you have Rip Torn, who's like, whole beginning arc is he's kind of like a presented as this like, loser professor who isn't living up to his like potential as this like chemist 
And like mm-hmm. we're, when it comes to fuel, I guess is where it leads him because he's just like too busy banging eighteen year old students like all the time, mm-hmm. and he's getting older and they're staying the same age. <laughs> and it's like, of course, I, like you go, man, Rip, Rip Torn's so cool. <laughs> I don't know, uh, Aaron, have you ever seen the movie Payday, starring him as like the country singer? No. Oh, it's it's so good. I, I highly recommend it. It's it, that's like it was a combination of Payday and watching the Larry Sanders show that I I think like Rip Torn's so good. And so when I first watched this movie, I was like, who is this guy? What 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 kind of name is Rip Torn? And like, no, that can't be real. And he was just this man on the. He'd show up in like Freddy Got Finger, and it was just this like mm-hmm. rough kind of goofball. The scene, the scene from Maidstone, no. Norman. Maid- movie no Mm-mm. i've never seen the movie i've seen the scene it was one of like it's probably like the absolute pinnacle of like 1960s excess where like norman mailer is like i'll make a movie and he just like cleared out like five estates in the hamptons and just had like this gigantic crew and like made a movie without a script and norman mailer acts in it and him and rift horn were like fucking wasted and they got into a fight on film right. and Rip hit Norman Mailer in the head with a hammer <laughs> like for real and like, they're grappling like, with each other and like Norman Mailer like bites off a chunk of Rip Torn's ear and like Lord. Norman Mailer's family is there like his children are like crying and like Norman Mailer's <laughs> wife is just like cannot believe what's going on and she's just like runs over and she's just like stop it you know and then they kind of break up and like Rip Horn's dazed and he's just like holding this hammer like I don't know why I did this <laughs> what, what is this movie called? called Maidstone oh I'm gonna watch this son of a bitch for sure yeah I think I mean, I've seen I've that into like YouTube it'll like autocomplete like mm. hammer fight Rip Torn. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> awesome it's really disturbing <laughs> So, do you guys want to know who uh, the original, um, the original person, not Rip Torn, but who they wrote the the role for? Yeah, uh, was uh, who was it? James Corden of mm. Maverick fame. Oh, so Co- Coburn, I don't, I don't, James Coburn, James Corbin, uh, Coburn, yeah, yeah. I'm like James Corden. I'm like who? Who that? James yeah. Coburn. Who Sorry, I, I mixed. I, <laughs> I'm like, uh, who the hell? Who's that? It's like it's like 3 a.m. in Cleveland. My mind's all. No, my mind's all. Your your your, your brain is in Cleveland. I've been on Cleveland time for a week just to prepare for uh, mm-hmm. Aaron Lang's wow. uh, so, arrival. So, so. so so considerate of you. I am. I am. Do so, you remember Rip Warren got busted for like oh. robbing that bank? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, I think like he's like I was three, into three in the morning or something like that. Well, then there's like the fence was like he thought it was his house, and you're yeah. like, what? But then they didn't they die from complications of Alzheimer's? Yeah. So like maybe like this has to have been like an Alzheimer's thing, but like he was already a man. He was a maniac though. So, but when a maniac has Alzheimer's, I mean, what do you I mean, what do you get? No more than the mayor of Cleveland. Didn't he try to rob a bank too? His brother, his brother, his brother. Okay. It's a fine detail, but it's an important one, I suppose. I suppose. Dear, dear, dear. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, Rip Torn. Um, yeah, the, you read the plot description on Wikipedia, and they're just like, he gets a job there, and then he slowly becomes Thomas's confidant, where it's like he like tricks his way in. You're like, no, no, he gets picked and brought in, and you get the 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 chamber for the ship. That like I think it's like a fairly 
this isn't the most like weirdly iconic movie, but there are still images. Like I was watching this on my laptop and I was just taking screenshots because there's like these scenes where mm-hmm. you're like, man. This that is some that is some gorgeous cinematography. Like I think, well, yeah, like stirring a martini with like a shiny revolver. Yeah, yeah. the uh, the uh, bit where when uh, the the Mary Lou leaves the hotel room at like dawn, it's just like gorgeous. Like her walking out of this small town, you're just like, man, that's just like beautiful. And there's just like yeah, what's with that magic hour. What's with that really weird Terry Southern cameo? Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, like when they're gonna do like the rocket launch, and like right. it's like the uh, and like they're like and there's Terry Southern and it's <laughs> Terry Southern. They actually say there's Terry Southern, just in the crowd. It's, yeah, it's it feels that feels like such an English thing though. I, I don't know the, the, the English seem to really like Terry Southern. I don't know. It, it seems to come up often. I and mean, he was Francis William Burroughs too. He yeah. was just like. like he was just a real like social butterfly. Well, because it's like a what did he what did he do? Uh, Magic Christian, which is got it. So all those all those guys in it, and um, yeah, Easy Rider. Yeah, he he was just in that right place, well, right time. Work with Stanley Kubrick. Yep. And all, and uh, yeah, I was always think of Magic Christian. You know, Peter, Peter Sellers, who we just talked about, and of course, yeah, a lot of those Englishmen. Yeah, I don't know. It's just hey, he was there. And it's like hey, it's a happening. You want to show up to this movie? It's like sure. Yeah, it's just like, like Terry Southern. Like it's because it's not that kind of movie. You know, it's like it's like a Zoolander cameo. <laughs> <laughs> like where you say the person's name. Oh. Like, hey, it's Billy Zane. Hey, it's David Bowie. Right, right, exactly. What do you think about the the, the this like ongoing like cute joke that uh, David Bowie's playing a character who's really bad at making music? Uh, I took it as it was. Cause I think like, see... Is it a little tongue, little on the nose? Yeah, but you know, because you get to see him like half singing while going to church as he's introduced to church. Oh yeah, like mm-hmm. Rick just grin. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. That was funny. <laughs> I was, I was, I was fine with it. You know? Okay. Still not there. Yep. But then he releases the album. Yeah, the visitor, yeah, yeah. which is just like they really just kind of like throw in there. And you know who was obsessed with that was Philip K. Dick. Like that, that element? Yeah. Yes. Hmm. And it becomes like a plot point in his novel, Vallis. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. And so I'll get ready. Oh. So, Ooh, shit. Uh, Philip K. Dick's exegesis. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I got out the old index and looked up David Bowie, and his name shows up quite a bit in here. Hmm. Um, Mostly just in passing. So are you guys familiar with the exegesis? I know it a little bit. I've never read it. I know it. Yeah, a, I know it, but it's not something you really read. But yeah. for anyone listening, it was just Philip K. Dick's like private notes, trying to explain to himself a mystical experience he had. And I mean, it's like a million fucking pages. And this mm-hmm. is this book is a uh, collects kind of like the parts that are like even remotely accessible, but. Um, what we have here? <clears throat> Where is this? Talk amongst yourselves. Well, here it is. There you go. Here it is. Sudden total realization as I was falling asleep. My writing isn't messages smuggled into this spurious world to tell us our situation. No, we are in a prison. And my writing is messages smuggled out. We're trying through such as my writing to contact outside help. 
and outside help answering the messages recondition found in my writing, like Bowie's LP record put on the communications media to reach his wife. So he just mentions this record from Matthew <laughs> Belder. The movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, this wasn't writing he did to be published. This were his own notes. And throughout is that part of Manny Felder Earth over and over again, like just as an aside. Um, so I don't know if that's of any user interest. Well, but. So oh, yeah. Is, is it because like one of those things that I, I think of when I think of Philip K. Dick, and I'm not sure if he, this is specifically his idea or one that he fell into, was this idea that we've, we're always living in like 34 AD, where it's like we've never like time just kind of keeps looping back over and over and over again. And he had this, like this thought experiment idea that like, we're stuck in the year 34 CE and uh, like whatever it is, the Romans or something like that. And we, things keep repeating over and again. And I could imagine if he was thinking about that, watching this movie, he'd be like, yeah, this makes total sense that David Bowie's character is standing still and everything else is just moving around him. If he thinks about, time in that particular way which then would kind of tie into this idea that he would be maybe from the future and just like time is non-linear and he's just standing in place which is again like another writerly idea that pops up i think in a lot of uh science fiction like i, I can think this is like very much like alan moore uh who i often mm. bring up he is like a big nick rogue fan i think because of the way like he teaches he deploys those like cinematic elements of rogues of like disjunctive editing in his comics as well the way he focuses on things like and you get a little bit of that in these two movies um, with the insects, which I think is like mm-hmm. a which is like a rogue staple of like he just zones in on like, hey, here's just like a little sample of like the world that has nothing to do with anything else. I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but uh, yeah, I could definitely see Philip K. this. Yeah, this actually kind of feels like a something like it would be like an adaptation of a Philip K. Dick or it feels more of Philip K. Dick than I'm sure what a Walt uh, Tevish imagined yeah yeah but so he yeah he has that moment where it's like i don't know what the story is is that like being on earth drags him down and he kind of falls mm-hmm. into he wallows in humanity and he's like you're you're supposed to be focused on this goal of of like saving your family or like saving your planet for whatever reason even though it's like is that even a reasonable goal is that something that could ever happen and then, of course, he's dealing with this breakdown with this relationship with his girlfriend, wife, and who, like, she she takes the money in the, the bad way, I guess. She forgets about her upbringing and immediately just slides into the rich life and, and of entitlement. Mm-hmm. But then she becomes the isolated person living on this, like, island. Uh, not island, but, like, this little shore in the middle of nowhere as the construction continues on, even though there seems to be no sight uh, in yeah, – no end in sight. And then he makes the reveal that he is an alien as he pops his eyeballs off <laughs> and shows off his uh, his smooth body, nippleless body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, there's like that weird, like lingering shot of her peeing herself, which I'm just like, yeah, that's I don't know. It's it was it's uh, the strangest scene in the whole movie. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. Like, Gotta yeah. z- zoom in on her losing control. <laughs> yeah. It's the most unnecessary and out of place scene, I think, in the entire. Oh, it's movie. pretty visceral. I yeah. mean, it really. Yeah. Yeah. He's really trying to sell the fact that she's like terrified, right? Yeah. Would, would, but then you watch the TV movie, and she's oh, like, yes. "Thank you for sharing this with me." Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Well, and she's like, "Oh, 
oops. And then she uh, says, he, I'm sorry I got scared. I won't do that again. And, and he and then, goes, you know, on my planet, I'm considered fairly attractive. <laughs> so who's, who, who's the Bowie character in the TV? Uh, the, this, this, this jobber named Lewis Smith, who is like part of this like period of time in the 80s where they're kind of like, hey, you, you know, these like Paul Reiser, Jerry Seinfeld, like Albert Brooks, Jewish leading men, Stephen Gutenberg. This is Lewis Smith, ladies and gentlemen, and he, he, he can carry a show. You're like, no, <laughs> like this guy like has does not have it because like he also reminds me of like oh, guy who plays uh, Sheriff Truman in Twin Peaks. What's his name? Oh, a little bit. Yeah. I, I thought he looked like Jerry Seinfeld more than anything, but here. Oh, what's his I'm looking up this guy. Yeah, he does look like the guy uh, from Twin Peaks as well. Yeah, the, 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 the hair, mm-hmm. the short, short, curly kind of poof. Michael Onke, that's who I'm thinking of. That it was a it was this look that movies were trying to say, hey, this is this is what ladies want. They want they want mm-hmm. bi- big hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, a movie. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, sure. So finally, Bo- Bowie's back on track. Because why don't we just talk about it? Like this is David Bowie's story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's gonna be a big blast off, but no. Nope, the gov the government is going to step mm-hmm. in because you can't you can't you're too big, too big for your britches. We got to stop this, which is hilarious because that would I don't think would ever happen. But there, we do get this weird movie cliche that I notice in a lot of like seventies movies of like the duo hitman, which I'm like I guess it's just like a Hemingway thing, right, from the killers. But uh, James Bond had these like hitmen. Uh, Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Well, Christ, I think there's like the two. James Bond movies that have these like the duo hitman. Sometimes they're like they're a couple and then they deserve to die because it seems to be this crazy undercurrent in these movies. Here they're just these goons with crash helmets so they can like mm-hmm. just get hit in the <laughs> head all day long. These helmets are so weird. Yeah, so it's so strange. I, I love it, but it's so strange. That's kind of, I think that's the weirdest part of the movie, which is saying something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like glitter helmets. Yeah, I, I I like the I like the presentation of it, where they're it's just these two dudes putting helmets on. And you're like, what's going on? What's going on here? And then even when the scene plays out and you see that they like they're the hitmen, you're still just like, what's up with the glitter helmets? Like they could have put anything on their heads, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I I actually like it, but uh, it is it's super weird. You're just like, what what is this? And maybe when they went by the um, the general store, those were the ones that were on sale, and they're like, oh, well, these these, sure. these ones are cheaper than the all black ones that would look way more badass. No, we're only use these once, <laughs> and then we're gonna get rid of them. So let's get the cheap ones that are sparkly. Uh, and then you get like a man, you get like some real real fake ass body dumping. Oh, I love that. That's something. That's like for a a movie of the stature, uh, that is like one fake ass body. I think more egregious than that. It's not the body dump. It's when the weight set gets thrown out the window and it's kind of like moving in the wind. And you're just like, okay, okay. And why would they throw the weights out the window? Yeah, I mean, that that's what makes the least, like, the least sense of all. It's like, why would they throw that out? It doesn't I mean, make any I, sense. I, well, because I think they're trying to stage, like, this was like a uh, homicide, suicide. Crime of passion. A, a quarrel between mm-hmm. the two men. Um, and that's I think that's, like, the, that would be the setup. And then, it, again, you infer the, they fill in the gaps of, like, oh, this is why they're doing it, maybe. But 
that's just left there saying, because you know, they're going to close up those little loose ends of people who would know, who would even care to ask what happened to the recluse, the Howard Hughes like recluse with his spruce moose. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, then he's, he's kidnapped and he's taken into his own house or like this, this complex that he's just kind of Some being place. experimented on. We have this line kind of just before that happens, but like, well, I can't feel like angry toward anything. I don't experience emotions like that. So he's not too stressed about it. And then you, so you have that. They keep, him, they keep him with alcohol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's all he needs. And he can do whatever you want to him. He, just, he doesn't care. Just keep him soused and on his on his hanging, his suspended bed. They make him gin martinis all day. That's He's perfectly content. He's like, I'm fine. That's he watch and... Mm-hmm. A little bit of a, a nipple mutilation, and uh, you got. Some, but you can watch the third man for nipple mutilation. Well, you get that. I mean, you have to get. You have to get the nipple mutilation. I prefer mine a little bit more real. Okay. Criterion creeps mutil nipple mutilation. Nice. That's on our After Dark Patreon. Mm-hmm. If anyone's interested. What one little thing that I appreciated in this movie? This is just me. I like the exposition by way of license plates, because like nowadays you just get like a title that comes up that tells you like exactly where you are, maybe like a like a ge- geographical marker. This is just like license plates. It's so classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I know here. What is up with elevation being noted on city signs? I don't I know. It's actually, want to know. If you were in those areas, like oh, they airs there. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I because I, nowadays part of the country, but maybe it's like something you'd want to know, right? Maybe I, it's just it's something I'm like, huh? I guess if I wanted to know, I'd look it up. I mean, I've, when I've traveled, I never even thought about it. And you, you, you're gonna have to you're, if you're going somewhere, you're gonna have to deal with it no matter what. It's not like really you can't do anything about it once you're there. It's too late, I guess. By the time you get to the sign, you're like, oh, oh, I've gone too many uh, sea levels. <laughs> mm-hmm. When I when I lived in Colorado, every place you'd go have the elevation, and it was very like upfront. It was like this many miles, and you're like, okay. Did you find that like it like I've heard like it kind of fucks with you when you're drinking? So I I never found that, but you got to keep in mind we're Canadian, and we start drinking when I don't know about Jared, but I, I think I was like 12 or 13 when I started, so I was like, I was fine by the time I got there. But uh, I don't know. Like we also we at, we're a little bit elevated. We're not in the mountains, but we we are a little bit up. So I think like where I moved was pretty similar to like home for me. So it wasn't that big of a difference. I heard you get like get worse hangovers from it. I don't mean I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. When you do get up there, it affects your like blood and then your blood oxygen as well. So like there there's like an actual scientific reason for it. But uh, I never. Where I went wasn't that far off from what I normally am, so it wasn't a big issue for me. But I could see it if you do like big kind of like in betweens, and that that would probably mean more. But no, yeah. Uh, another note I had here was tucked shirts into shorts. Have Did you that, never? Uh, no, I don't think so. That's it, because he's got some David Bowie's. Uh, He's he's a he's a thin Fashion man, on. and and he has uh yeah he's very he has like that puzzle shirt that like wine style puzzle shirt and he's just got those tucked right into his like very large like capri style shorts with his flip flops. Uh, awesome, I love it. Hmm. I love it. I'm sure <laughs> I, 
completely coked out of his mind will make yeah. it that movie. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. He's, he's it's a it's a look. He's like a little sailor boy. It's it's a, it's hilarious, and I I think it's funny. He's he's comfortable. He's he's very comfortable. Wouldn't you want to be comfortable if you were making a movie all day? You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's definitely worse I would. acting jobs. If you're playing aliens, you got to wear all these crazy prosthetics. Mm-hmm. And he barely had to do that. It's only when he's like, "Yeah, I'm an alien." Then I'm going to go back to being David Bowie for a little while because I kind of look like one. This, this strange androgynous being. I mean, he did have to like put some kind of like plastic contact into his eyeball and take it out with tweezers. So that that that, that would have been uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, that one time. Uh, yeah. Made one here about oof that black wig on Glandy Clark, which of course she tears it right off. I think there's like yeah. when he's uh, leaving her or they're breaking up at the uh, back on the the lake, and she has this like ridiculously bad black wig. It's so big, and I was like, what is up with that? And then I'm like, is this because we're aging her? But no, she just tears it off. And you're oh, okay. I see. It's supposed to be a lousy wig. And then, it's just wig play. but I will say that I I thought that the uh, the old the old the aging makeup in this wasn't too bad. It's not. I, th- I think for the time, uh, it was not too bad. <clears throat> old rip torn looks not bad. <laughs> looks accurate. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. so like other than that, I mean, the movie ends on this downer note. <laughs> of course, it does. Uh, mm-hmm. Of like, who who cares? Why bother? <laughs> And uh, it's like the the bottle wins, um, and there's this right this shrugging resignation of just like yeah, that's just what it is. And uh, that mm-hmm. down that I don't know that downturned hatch final shot that just keeps rolling has stuck in my mind, and I didn't realize it. And I'm like, oh, that's why I think about this every once in a while. So, yeah, I mean, this is a movie that I mean I was engaged with the entire time watching it. Uh, it's a interesting movie I, th- I think it's like an unsolvable puzzle and you have to, you bring whatever you bring to it so mm-hmm. i i don't know it's people's mileage is going to vary a great deal uh watching this i mean does it deliver on the nicholas rogue alien movie that's a heady thoughtful movie I, or kind of just all over the place mess yeah i think so but i mean <laughs> that might be a good thing or a bad thing depending on what you want out of it. I liked it though. I I think I do like this more than bad timing in some ways, but that's also maybe because I, this was a rewatch for me and bad timing was the first time. And I think the first time I watched man on fell earth, I mean, I watched this movie for the first time. It was probably like 2003, whenever or 2004, whenever it came out on DVD from anchor Bay, uh, I watched it once. And then I was like, huh, that wasn't at all what I was expecting. And it, and it took a long, I mean, I didn't watch it till now. So watching it now, I was like, okay, I, I, do think this movie is you know it's two hours and four twenty minutes long it's it's it's, it's mm-hmm. it takes its time to get to its leisurely place but at the same time i think it passes at a pretty a pretty good clip but mm-hmm. for that part but yeah no uh what do you guys think of the man who fell to earth throw it to you double a lang sure um well i kind of agree with uh what jg ballard had to say about this movie Ooh. and ballard liked the movie but uh he said called it a brave failure yeah Um, i like that (laughs) yeah he also he goes on to say that um yeah the movie defies genre convention uh but then he goes on to say but with his alien dismantled and demoralized rogue has nowhere to go since he cannot rely on the genre's conventions to rescue his film and without the genre's conventions 
the behavior of his hero becomes merely modishly psychotic. Um, so I don't know about if I heard that last part, but I, I know what he means. Like, he tries so hard to get away from your typical sci-fi movie, but then mm. it's just nowhere to go. Um, yeah, you know, I think this, if you're interested in Nicholas Roeg or even interested in David Bowie, that like, this is a must watch. Yep. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of this one. I wish I liked it more. I think bad timing and uh, don't look now are both way better. Uh, the movie's just it's just a it's got some really compelling imagery. I mean, Bowie is captivating, uh, but it's just kind of a mess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those. Are, I mean, yeah, completely. I, I, I agree with that assessment. Um, even though I'm like, I feel like I like it well enough and i'm like yeah i know i like but yeah i think don't look now it's pretty tough to top i think that's it's been a while since i've seen that movie too these these are movies that again nick nick rogue has no apologies when it comes to the old sex scenes and i always like because most people talk about don't look now is have like heralding is like one of the like best depictions of sex and like real what real human sex looks like in a movie um and then we get man who fell to earth scene of the uh the, the sex this big sex i don't know what you call it uh the big sex the jamboree uh where it's just like the mm-hmm. the, the rock out session which some people say it goes on forever and i was like eh, I, it wasn't that bad <laughs> like, i don't know I, 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 until people even talk about it i don't even remember it mm. but yeah like don't look now is just uh a more interesting puzzle because it has there is satisfaction to it and like and it's still downbeat and it but it makes sense and i think with man who fell to earth it, yeah with, with what jg ballard's saying there um old jg um <clears throat> that yeah it does kind of run into this thing where you're like huh what was this movie about yeah it's got two like so don't look now and bad timing are pretty contained they have mm-hmm. big ideas but they're also like kind of limited in scope while um many fell to earth there's just a lot of ideas and i feel like almost none of them are satisfactorily taken in a complete direction our uh our bad timing and don't look now are those books as well because like man who fell to earth was someone else but like were those ones also like adapted or i, don't, or I, I think don't look now as an original work by from nick be, rogue i prepared to be oh uh it's a thriller adapted by from a short story by uh that uh daphne de Moore, who, who wrote like jamaica in rj and i love jamaica and, 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 and the birds and don't look now yeah so yeah. it is based on a short story but i feel like that movie is probably very far removed from that short story sure I, when short stories i feel like have a little bit more uh flexibility potentially than uh say a full novel or a full sci-fi novel maybe right i'm just curious but yeah yeah so uh you guys like movies or rj what what do you what do you, what do you think about this man falling to earth all right so here's my rub uh, as I've mentioned before, I'm a big David Bowie fan, so I like him a lot. But I wouldn't let that sway me on the movie because uh, as, even though he is the focus, it's not it's not really about him, right? I mean, they kind of 
they shoehorn a few things in there near the end about music, but uh, I don't think this is necessarily a David Bowie movie other than him being the star. So I wouldn't let that sway me. When I first watched this, uh, I was like, I like it. Um, it's good. It's like, it's not great. Uh, on my rewatch, uh, I definitely actually liked it a lot more, to be honest. So uh, I was watching it and um, I do think it's upfront. I do think it's a, it's a bit much like it is a little long and like like what you said jared it doesn't feel like it but uh it, it is a bit like long where i think i watched bad timing and then i watched about an hour of man who fell to earth and then uh and one day and then i finished man who fell to earth the next day so it was like um it, it, it's it's a long movie uh but uh so i i did like it more on the second watch and um it actually, there were a few things that kind of stuck out to me a little bit more. Like maybe it's just I'm getting older and I'm more cynical now or something like that. But uh, I, I actually really liked the themes of uh, the alcoholism themes. And I liked the themes of America is a bad place and people are going to use you kind of themes, which it, it's like, it's not, it's not even like that overt, but like the, I mean, I guess it is because it's just like it's an alien or a foreigner as they see him and they kind of he's getting to a level they take him and then they miss they do what they want with him so i was kind of like i like this it's not even like an america thing but just like a i don't even know like not even capitalism but like just current kind of world standards where it's just like yeah if you're this person who kind of excels to a certain place there are going to be people who try to take advantage of that and uh that's kind of i Again, maybe it's that I'm older now and I'm a little bit more crusty that I was like, yeah, I, I, I get that. Uh, I see. I see what that's like. I guess, though, I mean, my counter to that would be it's like, but, but why do we care, though? Because I don't think his character cares about that at all. He doesn't. And that's I, I think that is one of the reasons I actually kind of go to it a little bit more, because I do think that like in a lot of situations where not not even just people being misused but uh say where some you're trying to go this way and it goes that way where i think it's a lot of the time where it's the people who don't make a scene or like people who don't um don't get like too concerned about it like i i I almost feel more for those people where it's just kind of like it's like, do you not know that you're being misused? And like, and maybe that's like overstepping where you're assuming of someone else. Like if they don't care, then they don't care and whatever, then it's not your business. But uh, for this movie, at least where you, I actually, you know what I think it is for me is I equiv- I, I equivalent it to like animal treatment almost, where it's like, he doesn't realize what's that he's being kind of mistreated. And I'm just like, and I, and I hate that. And that's like what I don't like seeing same thing with like, I don't like seeing how animals are treated in movies. And it's just, it's like, he, even though he like kind of knows it's wrong, he's like, I don't hold, he's like, I have no feelings. I have no emotions. I don't hate like, anybody. Balthazar Balthazar? Kind of a little bit. This one doesn't actually try to, like hurt a donkey in real life for a movie. So I, I feel like this one's a little bit, a better representation in my books just because it's uh, they use a human who has consent. And I think that is the, the key difference there. Um, but I, I do like that. Uh, so I like the, I like kind of the, that kind of like idea where it's just like, 
it's like you get you get a little up here and people are going to misuse you and it's not even like that you have to like climb to a certain level for people to misuse you but it's like people are just going to take advantage of you if they can and it's like i i mostly agree with that um i i like the alien story which i think is really cool and it's like if an alien did come to earth we'd probably fuck them up and i mean that's just how it is and i like that line at the end too where where rip torn's like you don't have any hard feelings he's like if you guys came to our planet we'd probably do shit to you too mm-hmm. so and you're you're just like oh, okay uh but no yeah i was actually i was surprised because i remember the first time i watched this i was like it's i was like it's good um i was like i really like david bowie and i like the way nick rogue makes movies uh but i wasn't like super and super hot on it but the, the second time watching it i was like i like this a lot more this time um there are a few things that it's a little drawing out but uh i i do like the overall kind of uh feel of this movie it's like this is this is similar to a lot of ideas and feelings that I have. So I like it. I don't know. Uh, I, I thought, I feel like I had more to say, but I can't remember at this point, but uh, no, I, I like the show. I think it's good. I like aliens. I like David Bowie. I think people are not great sometimes. And uh, I feel like that's what this movie is about. I don't know. No, oh. and so like when I was watching all those supplements too, like um, the screenwriter goes off about a bunch of different things about uh, uh, like alcoholism and the writer, and then I I did watch a thing with like Rip Torn, and I think that was like the best insight I had, where Rip Torn was just kind of like the movie's got a lot of clues, <laughs> but they don't but they don't tell you what any of them mean, and he's like, a, a, and that's the mystery, a movie of clues. Yeah, and he's just like, the movie's a lot of clues. And he's like, but there's a lot they don't tell you. And he's like, and that's good. He's like, you don't need to know everything. And I was like, I was like, that's pretty, that's pretty cool, Rip Torn. Good for you. One thing I didn't so. know till now was uh, this the screenwriter. Are you talking about uh, Paul Mayersberg? Yes. Yeah, yeah he so, was the one I watched. Yeah, he also uh, worked on the screenplay for Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, starring David Bowie. David. I wasn't Robert crazy. Duncan Jones. <laughs> Robert. David Robert Jones. Sorry, what? I wasn't that crazy about that movie. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I I can't remember when I watched that movie. It, it I remember seeing it, but I don't remember. God damn it. Put it out. Yeah, Criterion. It'll be watched again one day. I haven't seen it, but I know Bowie's in it. And and he also David apparently he also worked on the screenplay for Tome of Legia, directed by one Roger Corman. Love that film. It's great. With, with Bob Town. Who doesn't love Bob Town? Exactly. So anyways, I like this movie. It's good. What do you it's guys think? The best, it's definitely the best Bowie movie. No. Well, uh, well, yeah, maybe. I mean, actually, I don't even... Do you count Zoolander in that? <laughs> David <laughs> Bowie. So you want to... So, RG, would you have uh, his Tesla in uh, The Prestige? He's great as Tesla. I mean, that's not a David Bowie movie, but he—he's great as Tesla in that thing. I, uh, sorry, sorry here. Uh, his turn in Twin Peaks, Fire a Walk with Me, also and, good. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious that Man Who Fell to Earth meant a lot to Bowie, and the like. Yeah. Images from it on, for album art, two albums in a row, which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't yeah. soundtracks. Like he's not. They like, have nothing to do with the movie. And two albums in a row, Station to Station and Low. That's mm-hmm. image taken straight from the film. 
I think one of the things too is one of the things they were talking about was how um, they uh, they kept trying to make this movie an action movie, and uh, Nick Rogue and David Bowie were like, "It's not about that. It's about like all these other themes and ideas, and it's not really about an alien in that sense. It's it's like about how people kind of are with each other." And then, uh, like, and like, I think that was one of the things that, like, why David Bowie liked it so much was apparently everyone told him this wouldn't work. No one's going to like it. And it's kind of like what you said. It's kind of like a grand failure where it's like, no, it didn't actually do that well. But um, they kind of stuck to what they wanted. They're like, no, we're just going to make this thing based on the book. And it's not showy. It's not flashy. But this is what the story is. And uh, apparently, I, I guess when it was released in the States, it was edited very heavily and it made even less sense. People are like, we have no fucking idea what this movie is about, but I don't know. I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I could also imagine making a television series. Oh, yeah. The Man Who Fell to Earth. Why don't you tell uh, our buddy Aaron Lang well, about I this thought, film? I thought, I thought you were going to tell us all about it. So, no. uh, this opens up with the, the, the the ship crashes, and you get to see that there was three other people on the ship, and we get to see uh, Lewis Smith. Or is that his name right? Lewis Smith? Uh, fuck. I don't know. We Something. see him bur- burying the bodies and, like, give some alien eulogy, and then yeah, yells. And then, then we turn to the fish-out-of-water story of him making his way mm-hmm. in the world. He stops at a... Uh, that, like that 1980s American cafe truck stop where he meets a waitress. Uh, and he's like, I'll order the trucker's delight. And she's like, oh, you're going to regret it. And he brings, she brings up all these plates of food and he eats it. And it's like, oh, it's too much food. And he's like, Whoa, burping. And she's like, that'll be 33.25. He's like, oh, I have no money. And she's like, oh, you're joking me here. <laughs> and he's like, no, I, I'm strapped for cash because I'm an alien using American expressions. And then mm-hmm. I think he gives her some diamonds because like on my planet we have diamonds, so I can get I can use this currency. She's like, "Are you are you for real?" And then he he moves on his merry way. Uh, and then there's lots of that, like exactly what you'd expect for like that 1980s um, upbeat kind of music when he gets to the city. Uh, it's 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 like a television show where mm-hmm. I don't know. Where it's like here's our protagonist, and he uh, he has uh, meetups with like inner city kids like Will Wheaton. Who's like up to no good, but he's got a good heart, but he wears an oversized leather jacket and he's like, he's trying to shoplift from the music store, but he's like, he's a good kid after all. He just needs uh, some help, you know, uh, Beverly D'Angelo is the love interest who I guess would have been the ongoing one, perhaps. Uh, yes, I believe so. Actually, one thing just to cut you off for a second. One thing I do like is, uh, in the original, I like the obsession with television. This one, it's way more shoehorned in. It's like, I saw you on the MTV. Yeah. And then he's very much more like, uh, he just, he speaks in TV quotes. And you're like, oh, yeah, interesting. It's, but yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty zany. Uh, zany, for sure. Yeah, then uh, the scene we mentioned earlier where when he reveals he's the alien and she's just kind of like, oh, wow, thank you for telling me about it. And you'd just be like, that's mm-hmm. what it is. Uh <laughs> I'm trying to think of like, oh yeah, Robert Picardo, the doctor, plays the the, mm-hmm. the the FBI agent trying to get all this evidence together and find out about this alien and what his plans are. Because he's making music, to, he's selling records. 
to or, he's, well, do, he's doing he's, something yeah, like, where it's like oh you can listen to this crystal and it's got the music on it and everyone's like whoa 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 and then who's the guy who plays the uh the rip torn character he's like one of these like character uh, actors he, he's always just like a greasy dude is it, it uh bruce mcgill yeah i i don't know his name maybe but he, yeah it's he, bruce he's McGill. just always that gre- greasy dude yeah oh yeah yeah He's, he's in everything. So he shows up and he's like, I just want to help. And because he goes to the music store, because the enterprise just starts up immediately. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. now, now he's rich forever. And now he's just going to help out people. And you could, I could imagine this playing out every week. The man who fell to earth. But you're like, what's his goal <laughs> exactly? To stay ahead of the government as he tries to like get back home would be the storyline. Because he's like, we came to earth to get water. So maybe I don't know if you saw Jared, but did you see that this is actually a TV show that's currently in production? I did learn that this very night. Well, at GF4. Yeah, there's gonna be a a show now. There's gonna be they're really going to do it this time. Yeah, so they're really doing it. I imagine that they're going to completely abandon any sort of uh, Nicholas Rogue affectations in in terms of how his show is edited. I imagine. Yeah, and it'll be something prestige television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prestige format am, television. Am, am I missing anything from my recap of the Man Fell to Earth nineteen eighty seven movie? Uh, it's I don't know. Will Wheaton is there with a tasseled leather jacket, a la Macho Man. He's in there for a little bit. Uh, it's very it's very lighthearted, which isn't like I mean that's it's not the worst thing, whatever. But uh, it's very playful, where it's just like, hey, I'm an alien. What do you guys do? Ooh. It's not like slipping on banana peels, but it's almost kind of there. Because, uh, there, yeah, there's scenes where he's like driving on the wrong side of the road. And they're like, where'd you learn how to drive? He's like, from TV. And he's just like driving into other cars. And you're like, okay. <laughs> uh, he also has like the intro to this is pretty wild where he, he's like plane crashes. And then he like pulls out a crystal and drops it and then prays for a minute. And then at the end of his prayer, he's like, Wah! and he yeah. just screams. And then it's and then it's done. And then he picks the crystal up and walks away. And you're just like, you're like, that's strange. <laughs> like, what a weird thing to include in this. Um, I don't know. Yeah, he talks to Beverly D'Angelo. They go to a dance. He's got some pretty sick dance moves, mm-hmm. some Duncan moves in there. And uh, yeah, at the end of it, when you're done the movie, you go. I didn't really need to watch that, did I? <laughs> but I did. Yeah. So. Oh, well. We did it because we need to. Part of an exclusive but, club. Yeah. There are not a lot of people have seen that bad boy, but uh, that's fine. I think so that's, You're not missing much. I think that's it fine. sounds terrible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's dog shit. Yeah. yeah. yeah not, not great. I don't recommend it. No. I don't recommend it. Um, well, let us quickly run through who hates... All these movies, my goodness. Sure. So, first up on uh, Bad Timing, Monica gave this movie half a star. This film can actually burn in hell. Monica, you crazy son of a bitch. Favorite films include Totally Effed Up, But I'm a Cheerleader, House, Houseu, and Smoke Signals, which is a movie that uh, I'm surprised to see here. I think that's a Canadian film. It is. Wild. Some Bruce McDonald. Wild. Uh, Vargis, half a star. 
Nicholas Rogue's first film of the 80s is akin to Tyrannosaurus Turd. Art Garfunkel and Teresa Russell deserve to be given the Tombstone Piledriver by The Undertaker and Stunner by Stone Cold Steve Austin, respectively. One of the worst films I've ever seen in my whole life. The Who's Who Are They is also used for some unexplainable reason. <laughs> what insight. Well, I... What a takedown. I mean, while I don't agree with their take, I like all the wrestling uh things favorite films include paris texas singing in the rain la la land and elizabeth town wow this person likes paris texas that's a real yeah yeah that's a strange trying to fuck me up i don't don't understand these people like if someone's like i do not like bad timing fine yeah no argument for me that is not for everyone but to say it's bad what it's bad because because you don't like it that's not that's not a reason. Like, that's what they do, man. What about not Gary? One star. I love bad movies, and I couldn't stand this one. How can a movie be so bad? It's not even good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like I love movies are so bad they're good. It's like that's the type of people we're dealing with right there. Not Gary. Did you see the yeah. uh, today's? Uh, uh, low review in here as well i it didn't pop up when i looked i'm trying to uh send it to you on facebook right now but facebook isn't loading at my uh, residence i could uh try to get there tell me about not gary not gary where is where is not gary because i don't see it uh on on bad timing yeah not gary uh one star one star i see Oh, I, I see. Gotta Gary, go to oh, page I see. Two here. I, I see Gary Collection uh, missed my window, so I'll revisit him. Gary Collection, hello, darkness, my old friend. Paul Simon's mm-hmm. better half, the mom from Wild Things, and Mr. White walk into a noir film. Mr. White says, "Look at my Travolta hair." The mom says, "It's cool, but look how many pills I can swallow." Art wonders what bad career decisions landed him here. It's a tale as old as time. Man loves woman. Woman can't decide what she wants. Man loses his mind, and Harvey Keitel plays a hard-nosed cop. Does he play anything else besides that and criminals? Oh, wait. Sometimes he's a hard-nosed criminal cop. That's that's Gary. Uh, You find not Gary? (laughs) Favorite films include Cleo from 5 to 7, Tampopo, Desert Hearts, and Daisies. Oh, okay. It's, It's complicated. But I don't know. I don't know if these people like some of the movies they claim they like. That's all I gotta say. Potentially not. And for Man Who Fell to Earth, I got two. Okay. Girl Boss Piss, half a star. Great. If you say you like this movie, you are lying, or you just really like seeing David Bowie's penis. I mean, you don't even see it that much. Yeah. But uh, favorite films include Zootopia, Edward Scissorhands, Rocket Man, and The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Oh, God. <laughs> there you go, baby. Uh, one more. Lachlan Wong, half a star. Is this supposed to be art? Two and a half hours of overblown amounts of sex. David Bowie's horrific acting. Weird sci-fi shit that no one gives a damn about. Pointless shit, stupid shallow characters with the personalities on par with a stale potato. And the worst, and I mean worst, sex scene in history. Where it's essentially David Bowie pretending that his gun is his penis. And shooting blanks 
Also, the gooey alien shit in the weird samurai sequence. What the fuck were you thinking? Not to add David Bowie's fucking awful alien powers. Ha 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 Fuck this movie so much. I mean, I don't agree with any of that. Yeah, I mean, there uh, are so many legitimate criticisms you could make of this movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and th- those aren't them. This person likes Magnolia and Boogie Nights and Shaun of the Dead. These so. these people sound like like boomer Beatle fans complaining <laughs> about Yo- complaining about Yoko Ono, oh, where yeah. they're just like not even actually meeting anything on its own terms. Like they're never actually talking about Yoko Ono. But the, they're but just the, like, oh, she's just screaming. Why are they doing this? And they're all like twenty one years old. <laughs> That's the thing. And they sound like this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, tr- tr- crap. Crap people, that's what I say. Uh, RJ, what about Lachlan Wong? Those were the ones? Or did you say? He's not not there. Did he vanish? Yeah, he's gone. What'd you see? I can't. The way I've got my window open, uh, I only see you right now. Oh. He walked away. Well, he left us to our own devices. Well, how how like him? Um, Well, that's it for (laughs) who who hates. Aaron, any final words on this double header of rogue action? No, you've worn me out. I'm exhausted. I, I'm operating at lower brain capacity. I know. And... I'm feeling you, and I'm, I'm like two hours ahead still. So, damn. Well, yeah. Thank you. Uh, up in a long time. Oh well, thanks so much. The sacrifice <laughs> will be uh, noted. Uh, RJ, are you back? Or no, he's, he's not dead. There. Well, fuck him. Well, screw him. Uh, after the, bre- the after the break, after the break, after the break, Aaron Lane's going to go to bed. It's true. A new star is born in the stillness of morning. The edge of the universe. Time is expanding. It's endless as love. Infinitely small. Lights in the darkness. No reason at all. Billions of years away, half moons are sharing glasses of wine With asteroids passing, a galaxy wakes on the wrong side of space Gravity laughs in reality's face Somewhere there, like dust in the air A sphere is drifting too slowly to bear And clinging on tightly to rocks and stones A parasite's calling this dust its home Another second of another day In this corner of space In this dark Aaron, what do you think of The Who? I like the early stuff. Yeah. What about those uh, Ken Russell Tommy movies? I like the movie better than the album. Yeah. That's, That's fair. That's the Who are weird because some of their best songs aren't even on their albums; they're singles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I hear, I hear a rustling of headphones. What? Yeah, I was here the whole time. What happened? Yeah. Well, guess what, buddy? I, I asked Aaron my question, so. I, I'm totally. I, you know what? I got to tell you guys. I apologize. I'm not usually this volatile where I have to run to the bathroom, but. Uh, for whatever reason, I am tonight, so oh. I'm so, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Well, yeah. you can tell us about how badly you need to go to the bathroom and how badly you want to go to bed at sure. criterioncreeps at gmail dot com. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterbox. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnlow. Aaron Lang. 
you make comics. Where at? Where, where can people purchase your comic books? Your oh, zines? Absolutely nowhere right now. I'm in the process yeah. of setting up a new site, but I'm, you know, nowhere at, the, at present. Oh, is, 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 eBay? Is, is this blood on Dexter Cockburn's hands? No, no, Dexter's great, okay. uh, but him and I have decided to amicably go our own way. Son of a bitch. So you're on, you're, are you just on Facebook? I'm on Instagram too. Aaron okay. Lang. There you go. That's where you can find him, folks. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play. We're on Patreon. We are on YouTube. Blah, blah, blah. Next week, a much earned and yearned for skip week. So people can go back and listen to the last, I don't know, 12, 16 hours of podcasts we've recorded. And the week after that, it's goddamn Jean Renoir, RJ. Just you and me and Jean Renoir. We're watching Bodu Saved from Drowning from 1932. And maybe we'll watch a Nick Nolte movie as well. How does that sound? Uh, I'd rather just, I'll just watch the Nick Nolte one if that's okay. That's fine. You can be down and out as well. And maybe during the break week, uh, people can join my death pact and get uh, that Seven of Borgnine tattoo. Oh, yeah, I was going to mention that. RJ, you are going to get that tattoo, I, right? I am absolutely going to get it. I don't have an appointment booked yet, but because uh, I was waiting for COVID to blow over. And, you know, in our province, uh, COVID is not real anymore. They've kind of just said it's done. So uh, maybe I'll go soon. I'm going to book it. It hasn't happened yet. But uh, next week, you know, if anyone wants to join the pact, we can all give our proper uh, payment to Aaron Lang. Uh, Exposure is one thing. If you want to give him some exposure on your own social platforms, that's one thing. But, you know, maybe money would work, too. You send it to me and I'll I'll pass it along to Aaron. (laughs) I'm sure sure he will, too. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Archie's a good guy at that. Were you, were you putting that tattoo, RJ, on your ass? I might put it on my butt. Either so, I was talking to actually, I was talking to my wife about this two days ago because I was talking about Aaron was coming on, and I was like, I got to get this tattoo, and she's cool with it. She's like, Yeah, where are you gonna get it? And I was like, Either on my butt, or like I might get it on the front, like right along, <laughs> you know, where where it kind of goes down. <laughs> You guys know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because and or, you know, I might get it on the inner thigh, but like so kind of like turned inside so that like when I look down, it's looking at me. I don't know. What do you think? And you're you're the creator of this uh, this art. Where where do you think I should get this over your heart? Over there, the heart? Yeah. On the chest. I do have one right here already. So it would just be it would be under a different one. So well, uh, outside then on the side. OK. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll consider that under advisement right like there. Gage, yeah. Like Maybe I'll put out a poll on Facebook and Instagram and I'll, uh, I'll see either butt, uh, lower pupus, uh, heart, <laughs> or uh, maybe I'll just get a neck tattoo right here. Okay. Ernest Borgnine. That'll be great for my uh, professional career. Yeah. Good night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>